Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Standing on My Soapbox, the daily rant and radio show. We talk about all of the good, bad, and the ugly of current events. Join your host, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. You, our listeners, are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us. Call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. That's 347-989-0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott and co-host, Craig Hurley. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Standing on My Soapbox. It is Monday, April 22nd, 2019. We have an entire brand new week of shows for you to call in and talk about whatever's on your mind this week. News, politics, pop culture, or anything that makes you happy or is bugging the heck out of you. I'm your host, Scott Fullerton, and just a couple of seconds as my co-host, actor and writer Craig Hurley will be on. We'll be here to chat every day, Monday through Friday, from 1 to 2 Pacific, 4 to 5 Eastern Time. Give us a call here at 347-989-0126. We hope you all had a great Easter, happy Passover weekend, and let's get things started. Please welcome Mr. Craig Hurley. How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you, sir? I am fine. You're giving me anxiety again. Why am Mr. I giving you Colin anxiety? Because I'm calling from a. I'm calling at the last second. Literally, I hear Katie's from voice. From a different and, number. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm calling from a different number. Sorry, man. <laughs> it's all good. How you doing? I'm doing okay. Um, this past weekend was a little insane, wasn't it, for a lot of people across the world what i can tell it was uh, it was a very wild uh easter passover weekend that's for sure i know i i know i've bashed the christian population in the past um i i am uh feeling really uh i don't know what the what the word is i'm actually looking for i i i, I you know i don't um, I, I, I'm not a proponent of blowing up churches. Um, I, I, I don't understand what people are doing. I, I am a proponent of freedom of religion. Um, and, uh, you're, you're allowed to practice Christianity. If you want to practice Christianity, if you want to be a Muslim, you're allowed to practice that. If you want to be Jewish, you're allowed to practice that. Um, I, you know, I don't, I'm not judging you one way or another uh, on what your theology is in your life. And uh, these terrorist attacks in uh, Sri Lanka, they knew were coming, um, are, are just Yeah, as I don't understand disgusting. that part. Yeah, they they knew that this was going to happen. The Sri Lankan, uh, Sri Lankan. Well, I don't even know if that's the proper terminology, but um, their uh, their government knew that there was going to be terrorist attacks on the Christian minority in Sri Lanka because Christians are a minority in Sri Lanka. Um, I, I, I. Dude, I feel really, really bad. Um, I, you know, like I just said, I, I, I think everybody should be allowed to practice whatever religion 
they choose. Um, just because I personally feel that, you know, believing in, wow, I'm getting a phone call. Um, believing in, in, I, I personally, you know, don't necessarily believe in any, uh, deity. Um, but that's a, a personal choice and, and to have right. people try to, you know, rip that away from you, I, 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 I it, it's really disgusting. So, um, you know, the bombings are, are just as disgusting as the taking away of babies at our border. Um, I, you know, all of it is, is horrible. And one, I'm sure, is a direct reflection of the other. Um, you know, the, the Christians on one side of it are, are being really disgusting. And then on the flip side of it, all they're doing is praying to their God when they got blown up. So I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I, I am not on the side of, I'm not on either side. Uh, you know, I, I don't, I, I think that these people, you know, taking babies at our border, are, it's wrong. And I think that people that are blowing up churches are are wrong. So, um, you know, I, I'm just, I, I'm so torn up over this and I, and, and I'm, I, I really, I, I just want to be supportive. Um, so I, I, I just feel really bad for, for the Christian population right now, even though I, in the past, you know, have made fun and, uh, and, and, and tend to disagree. Um, but right. you know, the way, well, like the way you said, we, we in right the U S crazy. Right. And we in the U.S. have that freedom of religion built into our Constitution. A lot of other countries, most other countries, do not. And like you said, currently uh, Sri Lanka, the population there, about 70% of the population there is Buddhist, uh, 12.5% Hindu, almost 10% Muslim, and only about 7.5% are Christians. Like you said, they are the definite minority. And of the Christians that are there, it's mostly... People trying to convert. It's mostly other people bringing Christians into the country to convert other people, and that's why these people attacked uh, places of tourism, like hotels right. and churches and things like that, um, because they didn't. They wanted to stop the spread of Christianity, and uh, that you're exactly right behind that, which makes it just the the, the harder to understand. Um, that they would have all that collateral damage. Like I said, they went into hotels because this is where a lot of these people stayed. Um, I think there was one billionaire somewhere in that area that lost three kids there. There was four Americans of the 30 something that died. Uh, There was over 500 people injured. It's just, it's that we're still fighting over religion. What was that? The crusade started that or before that, that we're still fighting over religion this many years later when we have quote unquote religious freedom in this country and we're still having church bombings and firing here um, that we yeah. haven't somehow come to pass on this is really kind of remarkable when you think about it and very sad. Yeah. Um, I, I it, you know, it, it's in this country, it's separation of church and state for a reason. 
Um, and I, I just, I don't know. I'm just feeling, I, I'm, I, I'm really torn up. Uh, yeah, to be to be killing people over a god that nobody knows exists. I, I, I'm just, I, 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 I don't, I don't get it. I, I really, I, I just don't get it. Um, I'm, I'm baffled. This, uh, you know, the the three Baptist churches in, in, uh, in the south of the United States last week. I, you know, I, I just, I don't get it. I, I'm not. You know, yeah, I, I really, it doesn't I, make any sense. No. I, and the you know, lack I, of I, government I, oversight. I mean, you can't stop everything. These were terrorist bombers, suicide bombers, something very, very hard to stop no matter what. But when you listen to the reporting that it was actually back on April 4th that they were warned by intelligence were happened, they actually gave names of people that this was supposed to happen to and that it was still came to pass. They did because, quote, unquote, we never expected to be so big or so soon. That's just a lack of government. I mean, a lot can be uh, yeah. said about our 9-11. We had a lot of 9-11 warning, too, where it could have been. I mean, and like I said, terrorists, blow yourself up bombings, very, very hard to stop. But when you have that kind of warning, it, it really is worrisome. It's like, well, what is the point of the intelligence if you're not going to act on the intelligence or don't have – the means to act on the intelligence or the forthrightness to ask for help from other intelligence. Yeah. Did the, I, I don't know if Sri Lanka's government um, actually like prepared anybody because they did know that, that they were going to get attacked. And also I'm not sure. I mean, I, I hear these leaders all condemning, but I'm not sure that, they're really serious about condemning the terrorists. I, you know, I, right. I, the, the way they talk it is not, uh, 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 it's not, if you're condemning something, you're going to go after them. You know, these guys aren't, aren't doing anything to stop them and they're not doing anything to like really console the, the people that have gotten injured or gotten killed. Uh, you know, or or to warn anybody that it's about to happen. I'm I'm just not, I, I, you know, I, I I'm I'm really like I said I'm I'm really torn up yeah. over over. Remember nine eleven? Didn't we have like orange threats and yellow threats and everything for a while? You'd think they would have something like that in their hotels or something, especially in countries that are prone to a little more terrorism than luckily we've faced here. Um, I'm just surprised that there's not a better system in other countries. We we improved ours quite a bit afterwards, but uh, I'm surprised. I'm just surprised there's not more of a something like that, like a code orange, code red, code silver, whatever it happens to be. It sounds uh, or, goofy, or just but a warning. it should work. Just you know, right. just a warning. I we I remember when you know we were going through all of that and after 9-11 and and we you know almost on a daily basis and i was making fun of it then um where we would go through you know orange red yellow and green and and all the different colors of the rainbow in order to uh you know figure out how safe we actually are speaking of safe aren't we still in a national emergency here in the united states Uh, you know still in a national emergency 
And we haven't heard about that either. I haven't heard where that's been in the courts or anything yet either. You don't even hear where that's at. That, that yeah, fell well, off the radar. Because, because we're not in a national emergency. Um, our national emergency, once again, is that our president is an idiot. So, um, and he reacts the same way. He reacted the same way to the Sri Lanka bombings that their government did. And, I, and, and there's a lot of people out there that are like, maybe if more white people got killed, he would have reacted. Um, but, you know, his reaction was the same thing. There was, there's no, like, serious condemning of the terrorists. It's almost like they want it to happen. Uh, I know right. they're going through some population control right now, and I know this sounds very conspiracy uh, or conspiracy theory. You know, our water supply yeah, here in the United States is tourist areas. getting messed I mean, I up. can't even go for that because this was tra- right. traditional tourist areas. This wasn't in, in, in-state people. It wasn't population. Right. Right. This, this was tourist uh, locales where they tried to hit. So, well, how, so many, conspiracy, how many Americans how many or how many people from the United States were involved in that? Well, four were killed out of the uh, over 36, I think it was 34, 36, 500 injured. I don't know how many Americans were injured, but it was right. four Americans that were killed that I know of. And most of them, like I said, were foreign born and were no local, right. especially right. at the hotels and everything. It was a very... the there was seven lo- bombings, seven locations. Um, then there was a couple vans that got blown up. That, and that was because the bomb people blew those up in the vans. That wasn't, they didn't, weren't part of it. Uh, the people right. that were clearing up that end of the side, there was actually two more that was going to happen that were in vans that never detonated. But seven actually detonated through these suicide bombers um, at hotels, churches, and areas of public interest. They were all public interest. Uh, known for tourists, so they could right. get the quote unquote Christians and things like that. But right. uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there'll be some conspiracies or something that happens in there. I mean, much like we had our 9 11, we had the, uh, was that Tower 9 or Tower 11, Tower 4, whatever it was? No, we had, yeah, yeah, we had three different buildings go down on that day, and that was the first time in history that three different buildings went down because one building went down. So, right. um, you know, and actually, those buildings, the way the architecture was on them, they weren't supposed to collapse like that. Uh, so, um, yeah, and and we're actually still going through that. How how close are we to that twenty year mark where the United States actually lets out the information on on uh, on what actually happened on nine eleven? Because we all still yeah, twenty one two years, right? Be two years yeah, on that? I'm pretty sure. Like that. I'm pretty sure that two years from now they need to release, or they're supposed to release that information. They usually hold on to information like they did with the Kennedy assassination. Uh, they right. hold on to it for 20 years and then they release, you know, and it's it's redacted or edited, of course, but um, they still well, release they as back. much Didn't information on Trump it. Trump pushed back the latest Kennedy thing. There's supposed to be more Kennedy stuff, and Trump pushed it back. I think this past year. Wow. Why? 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 Because the CIA. I don't remember. I got to look it up. I know he did, but I don't remember why. Wow. It's interesting that we, and I didn't mean to, you know, bring up the Kennedys, but um, they're, 
they were uh, uh, and still are uh, a very powerful political family in the United States. And they were created basically the same way that the new uh, family that's in there uh, was created. Uh, Joseph Kennedy was a moonshiner and during Prohibition and controlled the entire East Coast as far as alcohol distribution was concerned. So, um, you know, to add all of his kids into the politics and into the government completely makes sense. Uh, so the same, the same type of stuff is currently happening with the billionaires that we have. It was almost a year to the day, just interrupt for a second, but it was almost a year to the day on April 26th of last year, uh, Trump decided to shield thousands of files from the JFK assassination public for another at least three years. Um, It was also done, it was was instructed to declassify everything by October 26th of 2017, then and then in 2018, he stopped it again. There's more than 368,000 pages that are still under lock and key, and it's held up for another three years now. Wow. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. That information at this point. Yeah. You know, I mean, unless their family's involved too, <laughs> which might be the case. That you know we're going to see the Trump name inside there and not not Ted Cruz's name because didn't he blame Ted Cruz's dad for being a part of the Kennedy assassination? Yeah, during I remember his campaign? that. Yeah, <laughs> I remember that. So yeah, you know, you know who's 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 actually whose name actually comes up there? Fred's does Fred's come up? <laughs> Be interesting to see when they release uh-huh. them in three more years. And so that'll be the same year as 9-11, I guess, around 21, if this was done in 2018. That means well, both of them have to come up in back. 21. They'll probably be push that to back, see what, too, in order to I would protect imagine, the, yeah. the Bush family. Because the Bush and right. the Saudis, you know, they were, they were completely um, uh, transparent when it came to being president of the United States. They actually gave up their tax, uh, their tax information. And it said that they had business dealings with the Saudis. And we knew this. Everybody knew this. And then when the Saudis on 9-11, all the Saudis taken out of or let um, fly that day. There was a no fly. I, I remember the day clearly. And no one was in the air after not after the Twin Towers. Uh, and and except for the Saudi government and the people who represented the Saudi government in the United States, they were all flown out and sent to Saudi Arabia where they could be safe, I guess, because they were worried about backlash. Right. So they were worried about, you know, citizens of the United States going after them. Um, right. Well, I've told you on my other show before, my 9-11 story, I was um, inches away from being in downtown New York City when that happened. As it turned out, I had driven through and was in um, Atlantic City when it happened and got stranded in Atlantic City for a couple of days. There was no way to get back. I was living in Enfield, Connecticut at the time, um, right outside of uh, Springfield, uh, Massachusetts. 
And a couple buddies and I had gone to, um, we're going to go to Atlantic City for the weekend or for the week. So we had left um, the restaurant. I was a restaurant manager and a couple of my restaurant friends. We had left like 3.30 in the morning, 4 in the morning. We closed the restaurant up and we're driving down to Atlantic City and we're driving through New York City around 6.30 in the morning or so. And I had told my friends, because you have to go right through New York to get to around on the Atlantic City Parkway to get to um, Atlantic City, the New Jersey Parkway. So I had told my friends, I said, well, we can't check into the hotel till 11 o'clock. You want to go into New York and we'll see if we can get standby tickets of all things for the Rosie O'Donnell show in New York City. And my friends kind of booed me out of that. Said, no, let's just go have breakfast and walk around the pier. So we ended up driving down to the pier Atlantic City, and we were walking around and didn't know what was going on. There was a lot of, so we were just walking around, right? As this was happening, we got in Atlantic City around 7 30, uh, 8 o'clock, right before all this was happening. We were walking along the pier up and down the boardwalk Atlantic City, and there was weirdness going on of people walking around. It was just, all you could explain was weirdness. We didn't really know what was going on. And right. so we walked around for a while and finally went into our hotel. We're staying at the MGM Grand. So let's go to the MGM, we'll play a little bit of slots, and we'll have a little breakfast and check in our room. So we go right inside the MGM off the boardwalk and start playing some slots, and it's just really eerie quiet, and we don't really understand what's going on yet. And now it's like 9.15, 9.30, and the second one had just hit. Right. And all of a sudden the cocktail waitress comes over, says, oh, my God, you guys want something? This is just horrible. This is just horrible. We're all, what the hell are you talking about? And we had to be told by a cocktail waitress what was going on, and they were showing it in the big screen in the bookie room around the corner where they're doing all the sports book stuff. So we ran over there real quick to find out what's going on, and because Atlantic City is literally a 35-minute plane ride from New York City or less, I mean, a plane ride, all of a sudden, Atlantic City went in high alert because they weren't sure if it was done yet. The second tower had just been hit. Right. And so we were in Atlantic City not knowing if we were going to be the third target or not because they didn't know if it was done because they were still going to the Pentagon at that point. So me and my friends are all freaking out. And uh, we watched all this happen from the big screen of the MGM Grand. And then we went up to our ho- – we checked into our hotel room because we found out we called – uh, and the other really weird thing is I call my mom from the hotel there, and she, it turns out later, because um, she's here in northeast Ohio, and it, right where we live here is where the plane turned around to go to the White House and crashed in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. It turned right. around right over my parents' house, like literally five miles from my parents' house. Is where the where the hijackers turned the plane around and started going back to hit the the uh, um, White House, and where the passengers crashed it in Shanksville. Shanksville, PA, is only about 30 minutes from here, um, not too far away at all, where it went down. So I have all these weird connections to it, and we weren't able to go back to. It was just impossible to get back to where I was in Connecticut without going like 10 hours out of your way. And I didn't have any family there anyway, so we ended up spending the night still for two nights in Atlantic City till we can get home. And it's one night. We went back one night early. And as you said, when we go back, you go past Hartford, 
you, you go past um, the New Jersey airport, whatever that is, not LaGuardia, but whatever one in New Jersey is, it's really busy that one of the planes went out of. And you go by Hartford Current Airport, which is another very busy airport, and nothing happens. You see all the planes on the ground. You see nothing in the sky. It was just weird, man. Just weird. So that's my 9-11 story. I wasn't planning on saying it, but I did. What the heck? You're talking about United Flight 93, right? 93 is the one that crashed. It went, turned over my parents' house, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's still a whole bunch. Of, I mean, I know they made a movie about it and Let's Roll and all of that crap. Um, but there's still conspiracy around that flight. Um, it, at the time, I, I don't know if a lot of people just don't remember, but there weren't a lot of people that were born uh, so they couldn't remember. Uh, right. the, the, it was, we had cell phones. We had flip phones. We had these like Star Trek flip phones. We, we didn't have smart and it was virtually impossible to get a cell phone out because there's no cell phone tower in the sky. Uh, it was virtually impossible to get a call out of an airplane. Uh, at that time, in in early 2000s, um, we it, it was like a 0.0001 percent chance that a phone call would get out, and they supposedly made five phone calls. So I, I I'm still looking at that plane, and and the way the the way the plane crashed, it it had like a a debris field of a mile. Um, planes don't have debris fields of a mile when they crash on the ground. They just don't. Um, I, I've seen plane crashes in Chicago. I was I was there when Flight 191 went down, and uh, and it and its debris field was maybe a quarter mile, maybe. Um, so just a couple hundred yards. It's it's not like you know a plane gets strewn all over the freaking place when it crashes into the ground. Um, the the way for a debris field to take up a mile is for it to be blown out of the sky. So there's still a lot of controversy around that particular flight and how it actually got how it actually crashed, even with the movie. I, right. Yeah, I did not. I did not really pay attention to that to when I came to think of it. Uh, so, I'm first. sorry. I don't don't mean to be a downer. We're, we're talking no, about not, all this not at all. stuff. No, I think that's an interesting I, actually thing to talk about because I did not know about that. It looks like I pulled that up really quick. On one article, it says of the 37 calls from Flight 93. 35 were supposedly placed on the airphone system. Those Remember when they used to have the phones in the back of the seat? Right. Yeah, where you could use the this credit card. This was traceable not only to particular aircraft, but to Pacific phone in a specific row on that aircraft. Right. right. Interesting. So that's the only way. There were, there were no cell phone conversations that, that went out that right. day. It, it was literally from that from the phone that were on the and That's seat. when you had to swipe your credit card on the bottom of the phone yeah. and everything? That would have been yeah. hard to do in the middle of all that. That took a lot of presence of mind. I, I hear where you're coming from that. That would take yeah, a lot it, of presence it, of mind. 
it takes a lot of, and especially when you've got guys standing there with box cutters that are threatening your life, uh, you know, and they're walking up and down the rows and are, are making sure people aren't making phone calls. So, uh, you know, I, I, like I said, it's, there's still a conspiracy theory out on that. It's still very mm-hmm. questionable. And yeah, it would would take a minute to, you know, for you to actually connect that phone call. It would take a a little while and you'd have to have the presence of mind to actually do it. So, and do it. And how do 37 people hide that from the hijackers? (laughs) How do you hide pulling that down out of the seat from the hijackers? You think you'd put yourself on high alert there or something. That's pretty wild. Never really thought about that. That's interesting. Yep. Um, huh. yeah, it's just kind of been a, a depressing weekend. Uh, you know, we're supposed to be celebrating, you know, the, that Jesus, the anointed one has risen, um, hide the eggs and eat the, you know, marshmallow peeps. I, I, you know, that's, that's what we're supposed to be celebrating. If we just go along with pagan, um, then we're just supposed to be celebrating the fact that we can now plant food. Uh, because, you know, we're changing into spring. So we survived the winter, and the winter was harsh, minus 55 frickin' degrees in, in uh, you know, the Midwest. Um, so it was pretty harsh, and now it's time to plant. We're supposed to, you know, start, we're supposed to have a spring fest. That's what this whole weekend is really about, and it's just been kind of horrific. So... Yeah, it was it was it was not a fun weekend. That's for sure. A lot of lot of yeah, a lot of ugly things happening. I did see. All right, a, well, let's a uh, take that off for a second and take a break. We're at the halfway mark, and we let's, are at the uh, take mark. A, We are at the halfway mark. Excellent. We'll go ahead and take a quick break. Play a little bit of. Uh, no, that song's too long. Let's go <laughs> to a little bit of. Uh, There's no such thing as too long of a song. Come on, yeah, California was almost six heaven. minutes. That, like that was long. What? <laughs> I said what I was looking at um, Hotel California was almost six minutes. That's a lot. Cool. Well, no, Jay Knight. Jay Knight has a uh, Okay, okay. Do what you want. You want Hotel California? We can do Hotel. I'll I don't care. You. I just, in homage of Glenn Fry, I miss him. Well, this is actually my buddy Brandon James' version, but it's still good. Here we go. Thanks. Little Hotel California, five-minute break. You guys are invited to call us back, 347-989-0126. That's 347-989-0126. Highway, cool wind in my head. 
All righty, we are back. That is Brandon and James with Hotel California. Guys, we're switching up a bit. We have special co-host Katie Barberi filling in for a couple minutes for Craig Hurley. Miss Katie Barberi, <laughs> how the heck are you? I'm good. I'm actually, I'm, I'm great. I'm, I'm in the car here with my man and my dog and a whole bunch of luggage. And uh, filling whole in for bunch Craig. Whole bunch of luggage. Whole bunch of luggage. Way too much. Uh, but, but here we go. We're calling it Wally World. 2019 nice i like it yeah yeah so um so we (laughs) so i'm actually filling in for craig for a few minutes for as long as he needs until his hand uncramps that would be good i i I actually i i have i i have a uh you know i have one of the doohickeys oh god we're so old the doohickeys that go in the ear that you get that the the hands free I have one. I don't know where I packed it. It's in one of those 18 <laughs> pieces of luggage that we have. So he's going to need that, right. you know, for a time that we're on the road and he's doing the show so that he can just be plugged in and not have to hold on to the phone. So too funny. Poor Craig. Oh, there you Poor go. Craig. I know. And, and we're talking about depressing stuff. So you're holding the phone tighter and you're, you're tense. So that cramps up I a know, hand quickly. I know. Yeah. So it, started cramping and he's like please take a segment on the show so that my hand can release so yeah no it's it's very well, sad anything it's very sad what happened. exciting you want to talk about i mean we can do our official game of thrones wrap up something happened last night neither of us saw it again so there's our official I, recap of last night's game of thrones yet in life we're still we're binging other things still it's you know we talked about this before with the amount of, of programming, and it's just Netflix, that Netflix now has, if you tried to watch everything that's on the that, that's available to stream, you could not watch it in a lifetime. So I, you know, I we have to we need a we really need a Game of Thrones uh, fan slash freak to call in and help us out because I'm exactly. just not there yet. I think yes, I have heard that it is a fantastic show. And we have, I did see American Idol last night. So I did too. It was Disney night, so I had to watch Disney. It was, how did you, how, it was what did Disney you night. I only saw part of it because we were actually, we, 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 had, uh, we had Easter dinner over at Craig's sister's house, and that was lovely. And so we were still talking into the, into the hour that American Idol started, and I didn't have them DDR it because I wasn't paying attention. But I did get in on the fact that Demetrius was eliminated. Which was very upsetting for me, very, very yeah. upsetting for me. Yeah, I was, I was not happy about that at all. Um, what's the other kid's name? Uche, I think was his name. Is that his name, Uche? Um, I don't know how to pronounce it, but yeah, that sounds close to the spelling of it, I guess. I think it's, I think it's Uche. It's C H E. He's awesome too. He's more of a showman. And Lionel Richie saved him in a very in a very cool way um, on not last week's but the week before show and brought him into the top ten because each one of them had a vote. Uh, and then and then Uche was eliminated, which could happen because America had kind of already spoken. You know what I mean? He had already right. been voted out. And then Demetrius as well. Demetrius was Luke saved. I just think Demetrius is the most talented kid, and he has this extraordinary voice. And Katy Perry called him the uh, the male uh, Beyonce. It's a huge compliment, oh, really? and he's 
Yeah, and so he's, I'm sorry to see him. And another thing, I've got another huge gripe. Um, why are they doing this with American Idol now? Now that ABC has taken, I thank ABC for picking them up. I think that's great. And we could see that coming, you know, as producers and people that work in the industry. When Ryan took over for Michael, we know Michael Strahan left, okay. Michael Strahan was going to be going to uh, Good Morning America anyway, regardless. He right. got that offer and he was right. going to GMA. And then it left the space open with Kelly. Um, I'll talk about Kelly in a second. I've, now I've got some things to talk about. Now you're in trouble. Now you get. Now you're going. Oh, look out! Back. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Ryan takes over from Michael Strahan, and I knew at that moment. I turned to Craig. I said, "American Idol's going to ABC," um, because Ryan, at the last time, he said, "For the last time, Kieran, dim the lights." And then at the very end of the show, he said goodbye for now. And there were all these rumors out there that American Idol would take would be taken over by another network and another network would produce it. And so when we saw Ryan go to Kelly, uh, uh, go to live with Kelly, and so that it would be Kelly and Ryan, they're syndicated, but they are produced by ABC. They're produced by Disney. And so I, I knew, I thought American Idol is going to ABC, and that's why they have Ryan doing those two shows. But they've done something that I hate, and that's that they eliminate like five people per show. I'm exaggerating on purpose. But they eliminate too many people for, per show. They only have, because Katie asked last night, are they going to do, are they going to, like, how many weeks do we have to use this save? Because they thought about using it for Demetrius. I know they did. Right. Um, but they, they asked how many, you know, how many weeks do we have to use this save? And Ryan said only three more weeks. And that's because they're going to eliminate, I guess, two, two contestants per show. And I, that sucks. And I'm not happy about that at all. I like me some American Idol drawn out. Just like with Dancing with the Stars, I like them to draw it out and make it endless. I remember when Fox was producing it, I think they started with even more than 10, something like 10. And then there were there was one or two wild cards, and they would let the public eliminate one per week. But now they're just right. thrashing through it. And they did that last year, and I thought, well, maybe it's just because it's the first year. And they want to try out, you know, exactly where they're going to be at budget-wise or whatever, and it's still an experiment. But they're doing it again this year, so I'm pretty sure they're going to eliminate someone, two people next week again. It's like, dude, it's over by the end of, you know, next month or before then. So that's very right. I think they're trying to um, copy the voices system because the voice is now on like three times a year because they do the same thing. They've sped it up because the voice used to be the same way on NBC where they would – um, have a longer season than the last couple of seasons. They've sped it up and eliminated like two to three a week, and it shortened the season by over two thirds. And but they're on three times a year now. They do three times a year. So maybe Idol's looking to do that. I'm not sure. I've never wow. watched Idol before the final ten came in. But you're right. Like I said, even with the final ten, you had ten weeks of good. Shows to watch. I mean, I don't, know, I don't know. I don't know. You don't have that right. much. No, they're they're eliminating like. I don't know if Simon Cowell is still producing or not. That I don't know. I know he's still getting paid, 
because he's the one that created the show for the United States, Simon Cowell and Simon Fuller. Right. So regardless of whether or not they're still actively producing, they have control over that. But, um, but, but, but at the time, it was, yeah, American Idol would last for a while. And now it's just they're, they're just plowing through it. Anyway, yeah, it would start right after Christmas or the first week of January and go all the way through the end of the season into June, May or June, I think. Yeah, it was it was it was for a minute, absolutely. It was four or five months easy. Um, and then what's I, your Kelly story? I, I, I love Kelly stories. Oh, my Kelly story. So I was actually the youngest actress ever to be uh, flown. From now the the okay, so the daytime the daytime soap opera industry used to be massive. It was massive. Right. It was created in the I believe the late fifties, and it was they call it soap operas honestly because it was it was designed to it was it, it was created to sell soap. There were serials right. that that were created to sell soap to housewives, literal soap. That's what they wanted to sell. You know, dish soap. Uh, laundry soap, whatever it was, soap. That's right. what they wanted to sell. And so they created these cereals, and it just, they started out live and in black and white, and it just blew up and became this massive industry. And they would produce on the West Coast. They were producing Y&R, producing The Young and the Restless, I believe The Bold and the Beautiful, um, uh, Days of Our Lives, General Hospital, and for a time they were producing Passions. And then on the East Coast, they were producing Ryan's Hope, uh, One Life to Live, All My Children, quite a few shows. And then uh, The Guiding Light, I think, was also produced over at CBS in, in New York. Uh, quite a few shows. Anyway, it was, it was a massive thing. It's, gotten, it's very sad because they don't do the daytime Emmys. Uh, no, none of the networks will pick up the daytime Emmys anymore. I think they did it online last year and maybe one of the cable channels ran it i can't i don't know that for sure but i know it was online so the industry has been cut in a lot of ways but at the time in its heyday in the 80s in the 70s and 80s is when um you know the 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 soap opera industry was just massive it was a luke and laura era with anthony geary and and Jeannie francis and they made the cover of i believe it was newsweek with their storyline and then um, uh, Susan Lucci as Erica Kane was a phenomenon, and they went to Europe to, you know, to, to they produced in Europe, and they did all sorts of things. And Erica Kane was this huge model, even though she's, I think, they, they, <laughs> Susan Lucci's like four nine, but I, they, you know, they 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 really four eleven tops, but they really they had these massive storylines, and it was a huge, um, it was a it was a huge possibility of work for actors on both coasts, and Bobby Hoffman. Was had been the casting director for Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. Bobby Hoffman actually wrote several books about his producing. I mean, for his uh, his uh, his casting, and he was you know just a huge casting director. And he ended up being West Coast rep for ABC Daytime, and that was it was a it was a huge industry for actors in the eighties and seventies, eighties, and nineties. And it's really heartbreaking to see how it's gone down in potential. They moved all of the production. If there's any production at all done for daytime soaps, it's all done on the West coast. And we never know, you know, how much longer it's going to last. But I was actually the youngest actress ever flown from, uh, 
from Los Angeles to New York to screen test for Susan Lucci, Erica Kane's daughter at the time. This was before the Kendall storyline. Um, wow. Geller played, yeah. Sarah Michelle Geller played Kendall, and then another actress, Alicia Minshew, played Kendall. But before the Kendall storyline, they had wanted to bring in Erica's illegitimate daughter, who was supposed to have been, I think she was a product of rape by her father. Um, and they wanted to bring in this storyline. And and they flew me from New York. I'm, I'm sorry, from L.A. to New York. They flew myself and my mother because I was underage. I was, I think, 13. Um, and they flew us, they flew me there to screen test. It was extremely exciting. And the, the ABC studios were just awesome. And they were, they were right on Central Park. And it was, it was just such a lovely experience. And they decided that they didn't want to relocate me. So they went with an actress who I'll never know what her name was. Because here's what happened. Uh, she, they went with an actress who was kind of, she was, she was petite. She was really, you know, petite, not, not very tall. And she had the long black hair and she had kind of, you know, darker, um, sort of very exotic skin. And she looked very Italian. She had an Italian name and she looked like she could be Susan Lucci's daughter as well. And they hired her to play this role. But then I guess what happened was they decided not to go with the storyline of the daughter. Susan Lucci felt that Erica's character wasn't ready for that yet. They decided to not go there. And then they recast that role. They actually, you know, recast that young lady with Lauren Holly, who later married Jim Carrey and did Dumb and Dumber. And, and that was her launch. So that was her path that she was on. She took over that role for that young lady that booked it who looked a lot like, like Susan Lucci, like I did, because I could have also played Susan Lucci's daughter at the time. We did have quite a resemblance. But I, I kept screen testing for soap operas throughout the years, and they brought me back twice to New York. I screen tested one more time for another project. Uh, I think it was One Life to Live. And then they were looking at me to play, um, oh, wow, I can't think of her name. She was, on, she was later on Baywatch. Um, really, really Alexander hot. Paul? Had, no, no, no. Dark or... hair. Dark hair and blue eyes. And, and Matthew Perry and Matt LeBlanc's character were obsessed with her. On The characters were obsessed with her. I don't remember. It wasn't Pamela Anderson, was it? She's blonde, I think. Oop, I lost you. Did your phone go? Uh-oh, I lost the co-host. Lost the co-host. If you can hear me, call back, Katie. We've lost you. They're going through a tunnel. Of course, uh, Katie and uh, Craig are traveling. They're moving to California. So uh, they are on the road right now. So we must have gone under a bridge or a tunnel or something. So uh, we'll get back to that story in a couple of seconds. I'll have to call back in just a minute. It could be in the middle of Nebraska cornfields or something. Anyway, we got a lot of pop culture stuff going on. um, And we'll talk about that all this week. We'll talk more. Wednesday is going to be Luke Perry's final showing on um, Riverdale. So we'll talk about that. All sorts of fun stuff to talk about here. But we'll see if uh, there she is. We'll get her back on here. <laughs> right in the middle of a good story and we lose you. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, here's the thing is that we're going through a storm, which is going to be, that's going to be the fun part about doing the show this week on the road is because we're going to go through quite a few different things and hopefully have some fun road trip stories for you. 
But anyway, they, they brought in a new casting director whose name I can't recall at the moment. I'll tell you at a later date. But she was, uh, she was lovely, and, but, but did not know me as well as Bobby Hoffman did because he had tried to cast me now several times. And they had tried to cast me on General Hospital. We did not know what the problem was that I kept not booking the job. It kept being between me and another actress. And then they brought me in to screen test for the role of Haley Bond. And oh, Haley Bond was supposed Oh, my gosh. To... Yeah. And they That's brought me in. And we thought, sure, this time it had to be. And she was going to be the daughter of, um, wow, I want to say Porter. No, Chandler. Adam Chandler who was played by the late great, and I can't think of his name either, but he was an amazing actor. He played Adam and Stuart Chandler. And we thought, this is it. And then they cast this, at the time, nobody out of New Jersey. And I was enraged. I was like, who is this girl? She had never done anything. <laughs> no one knew who she was. And I was like, what? are you kidding me? I was next in line to finally book a job on ABC daytime. We had worked really hard to make that happen. They had actually thought about writing a role for me. Like I say, Yasmin's lead little sister on, uh, on uh, Ryan Tope, but then they canceled Ryan Tope. just kept being almost, but not quite. And then they booked wow. this girl and I was like, who was she? And then she aired and she was this unknown named Kelly Ripa. And I became her biggest fan her biggest fan on that show. I thought it was one of two castings that they did. One was Kelly Ripa and the other was Katie McLean when Katie McLean was cast as Dixie Cooney on All My Children. It's the two times that I was very much up for the role that I thought I completely understand why they went with the actress that they did. And I became Kelly Ripa's like biggest fan. So I was wow. not surprised. I found her for live with uh, with Regis and Kelly. She just had a personality. She wasn't really. She had no. She had. She had been. I think the host of a local show in the a local dance show. She had no acting experience. No one knew who she was. But she wow. had this extraordinary personality that just walked in the room before she did, and she really just played herself. And then they cast uh, Matt Borlinghi to play interest. And he was so fantastic, and that was that young young love storyline. And I just became her biggest fan in the world. So that's my Kelly Ripa storyline. I was enraged that's by her, her that's my story. Kelly Ripa story. I was enraged by her presence on this planet when I did not take that job, <laughs> but I felt I was enraged. Gotcha. <laughs> you know, right, well, we have about. Four minutes left, and you're starting to cut out again. Let's put Craig back on, and we're going to wrap this up and go to song here. Thank you, Katie Barberry, yeah, for standing on my soapbox. I appreciate well, you're, it. You're very welcome. Yes, we are all huge Kelly Ripa fans. Whether we lost a job to her or not, it, she's absolutely an extraordinary <laughs> thing. The girl is just too much. Okay, um, I'm going to give it. you back to Craig, but he, he can't. We're in the middle of a hailstorm. We're literally in Pull the middle over. of a hailstorm. Well, over. This is going to be fun. This is going to be exciting. This is going to be like one of those uh, History Channel or Adventure Channel shows. And so we'll, we'll give you all the, <laughs> all the skinny on weather conditions throughout the week. And I'm not anywhere oh near goodness. as much of a spaz about the weather as Craig is, but I can recognize a hailstorm when I'm in the middle of one. So there you, there go. you go. We're, oh we're in the goodness. middle of one. Um, all right. I, I, uh, Pull over. Yeah. 
I, I can't, I can't put it, he can't, he can't take the phone right now. He's got to hang on one second. All right, well, let's go ahead and wrap up. Yeah, I can. Um, no, I, I can talk. There you go. All right. Yeah. Well, we only no, got a minute and a half here. We'll go out to song anyway. But I just want to get you back on here. Drive safe, my friend. Don't pull over if you need to. Yeah, uh, there's already a couple of people pulling over um, because it's hail and wind and lightning and rain. It wasn't supposed to rain today in this area. I saw him seat in the clouds yesterday, so that could be part of it. There you go. Well, stay hidden in your undisclosed location. Stay safe, and we will see you tomorrow for a brand-new episode. Let's go ahead and play out. Uh, guys, stay tuned for the Left to Straight show coming up next here. We'll see you tomorrow, 1 o'clock Pacific, 4 o'clock Eastern time, right here on Standing on My Soapbox. This is Steve Grand and Disciple. Peace. Jesus be my daddy, father my light Walks through my dreams, draped in white Like a child, like a child I ain't scared of dying when I'm living the sick I'll be a loyal disciple till I get my fix
Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show, everyone. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and it is Monday, April 22nd, 2019. Hope you all had a fantastic Easter Passover weekend, whatever you celebrate, if anything. It was relatively calm here in the Left of Straight household. It was just Mama Linda and I, who had made way too much food here for just the two of us, but uh, that's what that's happens when you're a foodie and a former fat kid and still kind of a fat kid. You make a lot of food. So yesterday I cooked a 10-pound ham, a uh, berry pie, uh, made deviled eggs in the morning, made a corn casserole, made, uh, what else did we have? Oh, asparagus and... A, uh, and yams. So it was a little crazy with food here. But i got a great show for you today in just a few minutes. I have two great guests coming up. The first hour, we're going to be talking to Yogi Dan Carter, whose naked yoga classes are literally burning up Washington, D.C. right now. And then in the second hour, up-and-coming singer and songwriter Hayden Joseph will be joining me with a couple previews with his upcoming debut album. So I'm excited to have one of our interns up back on the show with me today. You met her last week when she helped me interview uh, the fantastic uh, actor, uh, and I'm, now I'm blanking out his name because I can't remember. I didn't write it down. Who did we interview last Zach, week, Audrey? Zach, Zach Barrick. Zach Barrick. Thank you very much. So I have Audrey <laughs> back on. She's going to be manning the chat room here with us in just a couple of seconds. I'm going to open that chat room up uh, for you to chime in if you have any questions for today's guest. Uh, Audrey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing really great. And it sounds like you had a really great weekend. It was a nice weekend. It was busy, but it was a very nice weekend. Thank you for asking. How was your Easter slash Passover slash if you celebrate anything weekend? Uh, well, you know, we just did the, the normal, you know, color the eggs and, you know, find the Easter basket with the kids. And then we had dinner with the folks and, uh, our meal wasn't as big as yours, <laughs> but, uh, and we're you, two it, people. It was, Can you believe that? We just don't know how to cook I, small anymore. We, we tried to rope some neighbors in like three hours before. And, of course, everybody has plans the day of Easter. So we have all this food in the refrigerator now, and it's pretty pathetic. But that's okay. Yeah. And I have to get into <laughs> bathing suit weather to be in Palm Springs in exactly one month from today. So uh, it's going to be crazy. Oh, boy. <laughs> I know. Can you believe it? Exactly one month from today, boys and girls, I leave on the big gay road trip. I'm leaving from beautiful downtown, northern Ohio, northeastern Ohio here, driving cross-country to the beautiful, to the warm, to the sunny Palm Springs, California. Well, I'll be doing an entire month of shows 
from the Gay Men's Resort Indulge Resort in Palm Springs. We're going to have live interviews all month long with some of your favorite guests. It's going to be an exciting time had by all. I just had confirmation today. Guess who's going to be joining us, Audrey? Oh, I I, I thought. Please tell me. I shouldn't announce it yet because I wasn't going to announce anyone until later this week. But just because he confirmed today and I'm very excited about it, I'm going to say it. But coming up in one of our Palm Springs shows on the Big Gay Road Trip, we are going to have Star Search winner himself, Mr. Sam Harris, joining us in Palm Springs. How fun is that going to be? Oh, that! Oh, I'm you, excited. You're gonna have so much fun. Oh yeah, it's going to be a good time. I can't wait to start announcing it. Be sure to follow us along. Um, you can find everything on the website www.leftofstraight.com. It's always spelled out L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R in the number eight dot com. So www.leftofstraight.com. Go to the Big Gay Road Trip tab. You'll be able to find who the guests are. We're going to be announcing soon. You'll be able to follow along where we're stopping along the road from Northeast Ohio to Palm Springs. You'll be able to see live videos from there on the website. And there's also a link to our Indiegogo campaign that I've just about given up on, Audrey, because I'm horrible about asking for money. But if you guys go, we have the Big Gay Road Trip fundraiser going on right now at Indiegogo.com. And there's a link on the website, Left of Straight website as well where we are trying to raise some money for the Big Gay Road Trip so we can bring a third day of shows. We're going to be live every Monday and Tuesday from the resort with the Left of Straight show. And we're trying to add a third show on Wednesdays where we want to bring women and allies down to Palm Springs, put them up in a hotel, uh, do some interviews over at the Palm Springs uh, Gay Lesbian Center there. But we need to raise money for that. We just don't have the funds for it. Plus, we'd also like to bring one of our lovely interns, like Audrey, here with us. Um, so we're trying to Yay. get money for that. So if you go to Indiegogo.com or go to leftofstraight.com and click on the Indiegogo link, you can contribute to the left of, to the uh, Big Gay Road Trip. And right now, we're failing at it miserably because I suck asking for money. I've only posted about it three times in two weeks. So if it happens, it happens. If not, we will have to cut back on our allies but we'll we'll make the best of it we'll still have a great time while we're in la so that's it we're gonna oh, have I... some fun today we got a couple great shows but there's a lot of news i want to talk about um in the news especially some transgender news audrey i'd like to kind of get your opinion on here um hmm. converse for the very first time um they're dropping their pride sneakers which they've done for a couple years now but in 2019 for the very first time they're adding trans shoes, trans um, colored shoes for Converse Pride sneakers this year. That's kind of exciting stuff. I'm excited yeah. about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, they've done, I haven't heard that. They've done it the last couple of years now doing Rainbow Pride and different things on their Converse. They're reasonably priced. I think they're only like uh, 60 to 80 bucks if you go to the Converse website. You can pick them up. It includes free shipping, I think. But they've been supporting Pride for a while now, and Pride Month is in June, of course, coming up. So that's exciting. And also, I don't know if you read the news this week, but Charlize Theron, one of my favorite actresses, she's announced that her seven-year-old daughter is transgender. Um, She goes on to say, yes, I thought she was a boy until she looked at me when she was just three years old and said, Mama, I am not a boy. 
So there you go. I have two beautiful daughters who, just like any parent, I want to protect and I want to see thrive. How cool is that parenting? Oh, that that that's exactly the kind of parenting that, that every young transgender child needs. Full support. And I'm very it's happy amazing, about that. So. Big way to go, gal, on Charlize Theron there for uh, opening her arms to her now seven-year-old transgender daughter. Um, just at the point that they knew at three years old is amazing to me. But uh, that's such a great story. I love hearing that. Um, another fun story for the weekend that I read. You know I'm a huge political junkie as I talk about my other show on setting on my soapbox. But um, this weekend, Democrat presidential candidate Kristen Gillibrand, who I think is pretty cool, she apparently partied with some drag queens over in Des Moines, Iowa, <laughs> at a gay bar there. Um, they reported the New York Daily News. She's a New York center. She went to Blazing Saddles in Iowa. And Blazing Saddles is a chain. I have a good friend that manages the one in West Hollywood. There's also one in New York and a couple other places. But she went to Blazing Saddles in Iowa the other night and joined the drag performers in their dressing room. She tweeted from the dressing room. Um, she said, dang, these amazing drag queens at Blazing Sandals invited me to visit tonight before the show. I felt underdressed, so I brought a dress that I picked up yesterday. It turns out it fit me, but it fit Donna even better. Thank you for having me, ladies. How fun is that? <laughs> oh, that's great. I, I can't believe that. the type of I can't believe the type of candidates we have this time. It's so different Isn't than Isn't it amazing before. the diversity? We got Pete Buttigieg, which I've had on my show, guys. If you've missed that interview, go back to the April 5th archives. I had our our very own LGBT candidate Pete Buttigieg for an hour interview here on the Left and Straight show, but we have so much diversity and so much openness in the Democratic field that I won't take up political time on this show, but I'm very encouraged this year. I have to tell you, Audrey. Oh, I know. And I'm excited. I can't wait to vote. It's going to be a good time. We need we have to do stuff, but I'm not going to get into it because I'll get into it for an hour. And we have a great <laughs> guest standing on the line right now. Cool. So I don't want to oh, take great. his time. But yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into that. Be sure to tune into Standing on My Soapbox. We talk about a little bit of politics, pop culture, and news every day, right before the Left or Straight show from four to five every day. So be sure to tune in for that. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here. And I'm excited. We are going to have my first guest here in just a couple seconds. Dan Carter goes by Danimal, uh, yoga instructor, and so much more. So let's take a little break. Um, since I announced Sam Harris, let's give a little Sam Harris play for when he was on the show last time a couple of years ago. Here's his iconic from back in the Star Search Day, Over the Rainbow. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. Chat room will be open in about two minutes. Audio will be in there to take any questions you might have for Dan or later on for Aiden. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes, guys.
When all the world is a hopeless jumble And the raindrops tumble all around Heaven opens a magic lane When all the clouds darken up the skyway There's a rainbow highway to be
righty, we are back. That was Sam Harris with Somewhere Over the Rainbow from his iconic turn back in the day on Star Search before there even was an American Idol or The Voice. But guys, let's get right to it. My first guest today is making gay men in Washington, D.C. all hot and bothered, literally, as he brings <laughs> his naked yoga classes for gay and bisexual men to the nation's capital. After reading about him, I had to meet the man behind the yogi, and after tracking him down to his annual run in Coachella, I am so happy to say he is my very first guest today. His passion for his yoga pack is only matched by his passion for animals, from puppies to sharks, and this is going to be one heck of a fun interview, guys. Please welcome to the Left to Straight Show. For the very first time, Danimal himself, Mr. Dan Carter. Dan, how you doing, buddy? Good. I wish I could introduce myself like that. All you do a, I, you sure do an intro, man. You, <laughs> you are my new no, hero, I buddy. I will follow it. you around and introduce you wherever you want me to. I'm loving you, oh my, my God. Friend. You're the sweetest. Thank you. How's it going? Sorry to interrupt your trip. Talk about this whole Coachella experience. You were also <laughs> there for a special reason. You had a special reason to be there this year, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my buddies and I go to Coachella every year, but this year was especially special because it was also my bachelor party. Um, I'm getting married to my fiance Cassidy in a little under four weeks now. And, um, you know, the bachelor party tradition, I wasn't so sure about it. It was the thing that I needed, the piece of the puzzle to just be ready for this marriage. And it, it was so awesome. It was the best trip ever. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you and Cassie. That's awesome that you got to spend time with your friends, especially in something that's an annual tradition anyway. And just to be able to celebrate your upcoming wedding, that had to make it really cool, I could imagine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I wasn't sure if it was going to be any different than other years, but my boys really treated me right. Um, you know, I'd be like, oh, can you get a photo of me in these high heels doing a pistol squat? And they'd be like, yes. Let us assemble the cameras, <laughs> the lights, the action. Let's let's get this shot for you, Dan. And I was, I mean, it was just they they really made me feel special. So it was a great trip. That's amazing. And when did you, did you just get back, <laughs> or did you? How long were you there for? Did you just get back? Yeah, I just got back on Tuesday. We were just there for I think six days. Um, just like sort of a fire drill of a trip, and then came back to uh, an inbox full of requests to do interviews about naked yoga, uh, but you're my first. So I'm really excited about this one today. Yeah. Nice. I'm excited. I get to be your version interview for the, for the week. That's exciting stuff. Yay. Yes, you get a Yay pop this cherry. <laughs> well, oh, look out. Yeah, I saw the article on Queerty. I'm an official Queerty uh, subscriber. I love all the things. They really let me know what's going on. And when I saw the story, it's like, I got to talk to this guy. He seems way cool. He's handsome as hell. And this has got to be a fun but interesting thing to do. So I have so many questions for you, my friend. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, let's dig into them. All right, well, if anybody else, if you guys have questions, for the first time in three years, I'm opening back up the chat room. Uh, our, entry, our uh, intern, Audrey, is in the chat room. If you have any questions, 
please reach out to Audrey. She'll be sure to get him over to us. But I always like to start with new guests, Dan, from the very beginning. Um, bring me back. Tell a little my listeners a little bit about where did you grow up, what kind of a kid were you, and what did you first want to be when you grew up? <laughs> um, I grew up in the Washington, D.C. area. I've lived in all of the suburbs. I have to joke. Um, and I was a precocious child. That was the word that consistently got uh, told to my mother as a kid. I, at this point, I think precocious is probably just code for gay. Um, but, you know, I, I had a bit of a target on my back uh, growing up as a kid. I did my first drag when I was like three years old as uh, not Cinderella, but Snow White. Yes, Snow White. So um, I was a real crazy kid and, um, you know, I, pro- I got picked on and stuff, but I think that's what made me just like live my best gay life now as an adult. I mean, that's, that's the best we can all do, right? Exactly. Exactly. That's awesome. I love, so you're yeah. in Washington, but you've been all over, but now you're back, huh? What's it like to be yeah, back there? Yeah, you know well, so I went to college for uh, film studies, and I imagined that I would end up in New York or Los Angeles. And of course, the Discovery Channel called me like a couple of weeks before I graduated, and they were like, we've got a job for you. And they were headquartered in D.C., so I ended up back here. But I absolutely love D.C. I consider myself a Washingtonian now. And um you know, despite uh, despite the craziness in this town right now, it is consistently getting to be a more cool and fun place to live. That is awesome. I have a good friend, a musician, Tom Goss, has a house there. He lived there for a long time. And he says that it's, it's very uh, – the, the community is really going and pretty exciting. So uh, I guess yeah, things is pretty weird, happening man. in a lot of areas now. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a fun place. If you're ever in town, please let me know. Would love to show you around. Definitely, that's the one place I've not. I've traveled a lot of places. DC is not one of them. I would love to come out and visit sometime because I am a huge political junkie to begin with. Plus, I like a nice <laughs> gay town, so it'd be fun all the way around for me. I would enjoy it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, speaking of LGBT, you are out and proud member of our community. Talk to me about when did you first come out to yourself and when did you first start coming out to others? Yeah, I came out when I was in college. I know that the year was um, 2009 because it was the year that Katy Perry's Teenage Dream was number one on the charts, and that was like my summer anthem. Um, I had kind of been... <laughs> Don't get me started on Katy Perry. We'll just be talking about that for like an hour. I am like such a Katy cat. Oh my god. <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to coming, yeah, back to coming out. You know, it was 2009. Um, it was my first year getting to stay at college um, instead of going home, and uh, I was an orientation leader. And I was in the closet, but because I had just like this amazing family of fellow orientation leaders, they just gave me the confidence and self-assuredness to come out. Um, And 
as soon as I got home from that summer, I like walked straight up to my parents and I told them I'm gay. And um, that was the best decision wow. I ever made. Yeah. That's I mean, awesome. it was. Were you all, when did you come out to yourself? Were you always kind of new or when did you know for yourself? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I just mentioned that I dressed up as Snow White when I was three years old. And as a kid, (laughs) I always felt different. But um, I remember like very distinctly one time I was at a roller rink as a kid and Barbie Girl by Aqua came on and I just like started jamming out to it and like getting my groove on and I looked around and it was me and all girls and all the boys were like away playing video games and like I I don't think I knew what gay was back then but I knew like I was different and special at that point that is awesome I love that Barbie girl (laughs) turns a lot of us that's all there is to it (laughs) I want to start talking about sorry um no, no problem. Sorry. That's the, the trouble. We're not in the same room here. We're going to talk over each other. Don't worry about it. Um, I want to start by talking about your love of animals. I read where it kind of goes all the way back to your dog, Lucky. Tell me about Lucky and that bond. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I I mentioned as a kid, I kind of had a target on my back. And I think for that reason, I didn't have a lot of real friends. I remember in college realizing for the first time, wow, I have a best friend now. And that was a very weird sensation for me because throughout my school and high school time, I just, I had friends, but never a best friend. Um, And I would say that Lucky, my dog, was my best friend then. Animals are just so therapeutic and I have a really special relationship with dogs in particular and so sit with him and walk him that was a pretty fundamental part of my childhood and I I would have been really hard to make it through those years of of being bullied uh without him so he's he always will have a very special place wow that's a great story I love hearing that and talk about you also did a lot of volunteering at animal shelters and go back to your work at Discovery Channel. You were there for like four years, right? What would you do there? Yeah. So I worked at the Discovery Channel right out of college. It was my first job. And, ooh, they made me do some grunt work, you know, like staying up, <laughs> day, tweeting about shows about mining and stuff like that. In the end, I got to do some really amazing work on their website. I went up to Dutch Harbor, Alaska and rode crab fishing boats with the deadliest catch guys. I saw wild sea otters while I was up there. I got to work on Shark Week for almost, for actually five years, yeah. And I I went swimming with sharks, which was absolutely incredible. Uh, Oh my goodness. You want to get your heart pumping. Yoga's good, but (laughs) swimming with sharks, that'll that'll really do it for you. Oh my God, Um, I can imagine. yeah, and I've just always felt like I've had a really special bond with animals. Um, I like to joke that when dogs see me on the street, they want to leave their owners for me, you know? Aw, that's cute. <laughs> I love that. 
Their owners probably my, don't my, like you that my, much, but I think it's cute. <laughs> no, my fiance is also always worried I'm checking people out, but it's usually just that I'm looking at the dog. You know, I'm like, ooh, that's that's a cute dog. Like, ooh, I would pet that dog so hard. Oh my god, that's hilarious. That's <laughs> hilarious. I love that. And what's this? Talk about this love affair of viral animal videos you have. Viral animal videos are the bread and butter of the internet. Otters, especially, are taking over lately. Yeah, well, I mean, in the gay community too, right? Otters, like just <laughs> in between that twink and bear, that you like. Ooh, yeah. No, but in all seriousness, <laughs> viral video, viral animal videos are great. Especially like I love otter videos. Um, Fiona the hippo is one of my favorites. If you haven't checked out the dodo, that's this really incredible, uh, like very conscientious animal blog and animal viral video uh, network. And so they have stories about dogs that recycle and rescuing dogs that are in really dire situations, but also exotic animals. And I think cats are in there too, but I'm more of a dog person. So I don't know if I would know about that. <laughs> gotcha. I love that. Dodo.com, you said? Where should you yeah, go? Yeah, the Dodo. dodo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The Dodo. Nice. Let's kind of uh, transition into the LGBT community a bit here. You've worked with a lot of different groups. Talk about the groups you've worked with and why it's important to you to stay in that community, work with that community, our community. Yeah, absolutely. I think that especially after the most recent election, there was sort of this shift in this city. And I say pretty apolitical, but people were worried about their fundamental rights. And so I partnered with a lot of my friends who are people of color, uh, who are trans, who are underserved gay populations, and just talked about how we could do yoga fundraisers that would help in any way. And, you know, we've done everything um, from just a simple yoga class uh, where we raise money for the local LGBT center, which is called the DC Center, to um, partnering with the Trans Women of Color Collective for a roast that we did of me, where my fiance roasted me in full drag. So, any way that we can give back is, oh my goodness. is especially important right now. Um, you know, especially if it involves drag queens. Well, talk about this. Talk about the drag community. You, you kind of boast about that a little bit on your website there. <laughs> what draws you to that community? Talk about the fun that is the drag community. I love the drag community. Yeah. I mean, drag is, it's just the best, right? It's, I think it's like the truest gay art form. Um, and there's just something so authentic. And I think a lot of us grow up and know that we're gay. And a lot of us grow up and know that we're also drag queens. There's like a little baby drag queen inside of us. And <laughs> I am by no means a professional drag queen. You know, I, I'll slap some eyeshadow on, put on a wig and some heels or whatever. But I'm really blessed to have some amazing friends who are a big part of the drag community here. And it's a really diverse drag community here. You know, there was uh, 
controversy around some of the things RuPaul said uh, a couple seasons ago, but he like we have a real wealth and diversity of drag queens. Um, we have trans drag queens and uh, lady drag queens and, of course, gay That's drag great. queens and weird drag queens and pageant drag queens. And so I'm, I just always feel very delighted to get to experience that in the city. It's, it's a real treat. Nice. Yeah, RuPaul's had a little bit of controversy from time to time, but I'm still a fan of the show. Do you watch the show? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, let's be clear. RuPaul is bae, and she can say whatever she wants. But, I, I mean, I thought that started a good conversation about work, right? what is drag, right? Work. Well, and she's a huge ally to, to trans people and always has been. But, you know, that was a really interesting comment. And I think here in D.C., we all really thought, like, well, what does it mean to be a drag queen? And I think it's just a decision you have to make. Anyone can be a drag queen. They just have to say they're a drag queen and, and do the damn thing. I love it. Exactly. Yeah, we're this season's big here because I'm in Ohio, and Nina West is from Columbus, Ohio, who's in this year. So it's been a big year for us here in Columbus area. So I've been paying attention more than usual. I love the show. But uh, this year yeah, we're paying she's, extra she's special attention. She's one of my favorites. She's cool. I mean, she's been doing it for so long. I mean, she's amazing with what she's done in Columbus. She's raised over millions of dollars for charities with her Nina West Foundation. And she does such great work to begin with, along with being a fantastic performer, that it's been fun to watch. When she had such a trouble on the very first episode, a lot of people were like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is – our same little Nina, but uh, she's been doing fantastic. So we're very excited about that. Yeah, All I right, love well, that. Well, let's go ahead. Um, I want to go ahead and get into the fitness and the yoga programs you develop. Let's take a quick little break here. Uh, we're going to play another Sam Harris because I'm addicted to him today. Uh, a little war on war. When we come back, we're going to be talking to Danimal about Danimal yoga and these great classes that he's developed. He's got retreats. And he's got this naked yoga class that is just blowing up in the airwaves right now. So we're going to be back in just a couple seconds. You're listening to Left of Straight show right here on Left of Straight Radio. There's a war on drugs and a war on crime. They say Jesus wants a war to wipe out Darwinism. There's so many wars. Messing up my mind And most of all you got your war of wars on terrorism You say the American way is what we're fighting for But I'm sick of the spin you put me in So I declare a war You tell me who to love and how to live and what to pray to Then you kill and fight Cause you say you must Depends on who we like and who we hate and who we pay to You say the American way is what we're fighting for 
but talk about what does a typical yoga class entail and what does yoga do for the body? Talk about the, uh, why it's important for you and the benefits of it. Do you have three hours for me, Scott? <laughs> I'll clear the schedule. Give me, give me the reader's I'm digest I'm only teasing. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the reader's <laughs> digest version. Absolutely. Yoga, I teach a couple different styles of yoga, but primarily I teach vinyasa flow yoga. And what's really incredible about yoga that differentiates it from other fitness regimens is it's very focused on also the mind. We're constantly focusing on our breath, which expands lung capacity. We're doing balancing poses, which, which helps sharpen the mind increase proprioception, your body's ability to know where it is in time and space. And also you just leave with this feeling of wholeness, of not being worn thin the way that a boot camp class would or a cardio exercise would, of, of feeling almost like you've been energized by the practice. So I think of yoga as really a complete exercise because it fulfills mind, body, and spirit. I love that because that's uh, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, I've I've done this health journey for myself for my health and fitness, but I just the gym just seems like too solitary of a thing for me. You do your own thing, you get there and get out. And I like where you talk about the body positivity involved, the community and self love, and I think that's so important. Talk about how you bring those aspects into it. Absolutely, I teach body positivity in all my classes. But naked yoga is something so much more special to have this moment alone with your body where your clothes aren't even distracting you beyond words. It's just really spectacular. And you start to understand your body in a way that you didn't know that you could before. And you start to understand other people's bodies in a way that you didn't think you could before. And you just start to see the world completely differently. When this group, this naked yoga group that I teach owns, you can really feel the resonance of the practice in their voice. I mentioned that you feel very satiated after a vinyasa class. After a naked yoga class, it's Thanksgiving dinner. You know, you've had the turkey, the cranberry sauce, the stuffing. You are just like so full. Um, so it's an amazing group. That is awesome. I love that. And we talked about your love of animals earlier. You actually work this into your fitness as well. Um, I think I need to know in my life how to howl like a wolf and breathe like a penguin and move like a lion. Tell me how this stuff happens. I love this. So another effect of the yoga practice, or at least the specific kinds that I teach, which I call Danimal yoga, just my name and animal is that there's something very primal about it. We get our hands on the ground, we move our hips. A lot of these movements that we've forgotten because most of our day is spent moving forward and back, being on little screens. And when you start to move like an animal does, something really triggers in your brain that you're not used to experiencing. It's a sensation unlike any other. And I just love to work the animal noises in because I think they're cathartic and they make people feel good. Do you want to hear some of them? Is that weird? Can we do that? It's not. I mean, I think we all know how to howl like a wolf, but I want some. You call your group a pack. 
You've got to be an expert at this. So I want to hear how an expert that is the leader of a pack, Danimal, how does a wolf really howl? You've got to share with me. Okay, you. okay. Uh, a wolf really howls like this. I love that. What is that release inside you? Is that besides releasing your inner wolf, what kind of endorphins does that release? We talked earlier about the sensation of coming out. I think it's really similar to that. You just get this rush. Um, your blood turns fuzzy. It's like butterflies are in your belly. It's it's a total cool. Now talk about how do you breathe like a penguin? I don't. How did you find out how penguins breathe? Number one, and then how do you do it? <laughs> so, so the penguin's breath is a bit of a misnomer. I have to admit, um, there's a very popular style of breath in yoga called lion's breath. And one day I was thinking to myself, what if we just reversed that? And a lion's breath is meant to heat you. So when I took the reverse of it, I was realizing that it was a cooling effect on my body. And so oh, wow. then I was thinking about cold animals and I just started sort of shaking my arms the way that a penguin would. And I was like, this is penguin's breath. You know, it's cold, you can shake your arms out and people just loved it. And the really fascinating thing is some of my students taught it to their kids. And I've been told by many of them that it is a way for them to get their kids to manage their anxiety and stress. Something about this breath sort of just like resets the body. So it's one of my go-tos in all my classes now. Oh, that is great. I love hearing that. And talk about moving like a lion. We know that they are the king of the jungle and they look graceful as hell, but talk about moving like a lion. What do you mean by that? That there's something very empowering in moving like a lion. And so, like I mentioned, I always get my students to have their hands on the ground and move their fingers around a lot. In a lot of yoga classes, you'll see these sort of strict, precise movements, but there's a lot of creativity and room for growth in my classroom. And I think that just letting people sort of embrace that and move the way that a big cat would gives them this sense of confidence that is really helpful when we're already working with body positivity and self-actualizing. So it, it's very free form. You know, there's, there's nothing strict about what kind of a lion you have to be. Nice. Very cool. I'm loving all of this. Um, talk about, <laughs> Thank you. Let's, let's get back into naked yoga again. Where did this idea come about? And what was the very first class like? How many people did you actually have show up? So I did not start the group. The group was started in the 90s by a bunch of guys in D.C. who wanted to do some naked yoga together. I actually came to the group in 2015 and one of my buddies was like, hey, there's this cool men's group you should come to. And I'm like, okay, neat. And then like 30 minutes before the class, he's like, by the way, it's naked. See you soon. At that point, it was like too late to back out. So I showed up oh to the class goodness. and I was like, oh my God, is this just going to be like 
guys cruising me or is this some sort of weird analogy for an orgy that he's like misrepresenting and then I got there and everyone was so nice and authentic and it was fun and it's something that really woken up in me and I, like within two weeks I was teaching the class and then within a year I was teaching most of the classes and then one of our founders had to um, retire basically he's living his best life out in Singapore now and he's like Dan I think you should take over this group um, you know you really live live the yoga and I I've never been so happy to do something in my life Nice. And talk about, I mean, the LGBT community is so body conscious to begin with. How do you market this to um, us chubby and former chubby guys? What are the, what kind of <laughs> group comes to these things? You know, I take a lot of time answering uh, every email that I get. And you would really be staggered to see how full my inbox is as a yoga teacher. When I quit my desk job at Discovery, I thought that I would never have to answer another email again, but people are really <laughs> nervous or anxious coming to this group, and it's important to me that I'm really clear with them that you can have anybody and come to this group. We have students who are 20, we have students who are 80, all body types, all races, all backgrounds. Um, we're a very accepting group, and uh, you know, I don't know a single regular member of the group who would who would judge some somebody for coming, whoever nice. they are. I love know. that. That is great. And talk about, um, I mean, you hear so much about different yogas and hot yogas. Do you do hot yogas? Do you do different styles? Or is, this, <laughs> is there different types of, because of, there's beginner, immediate, intermediate. Is there hot yoga? Is there... XYZ yoga, or what, what is all entailed in this group? You do different types? Yeah, absolutely. I am the, I am the primary teacher of this group, DC Naked Yoga, but I also have some colleagues who teach for me some weekends. And so we have an Ashtanga-based teacher, which is a very traditional style of yoga. We have a gentle yoga teacher. We have a power yoga teacher. And um, I also teach Thai massage workshops and partner yoga workshops and inversions. So what's really great is not only are we getting this really unique style of yoga that is difficult to find, but we're also programming for all different tastes. And some guys will show up on power weeks only and others will only show up for gentle, but that's great because hopefully they're getting what they need through those classes. Fantastic. I love that. And it sounds like it's such a positive community. Where's all this notoriety coming from all of a sudden? Does it kind of pop up from time to time since it's been around that long? Or what do you think is, is causing this recent surge in popularity of it? So I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but I was in the closet as a naked yogi for a while. When I first started teaching the class, I got a lot of flack from friends and colleagues. People told me that it would ruin my career as a yoga teacher. The person who has always been most supportive has been my fiance, Cassidy, who thinks it's great. And uh, he's just been a godsend. 
and he's been so good for my confidence. And we did a naked yoga retreat down in Miami Beach for New Year's, and I was with these amazing guys, and I told them, this year my intention or um, my resolution is this is the year of naked yoga. I'm not going to be in the closet about being a naked yogi anymore. I am going to be out and loud and proud. And since I've started doing that, all these amazing opportunities have popped up and we've attracted more people than we've ever had. And it's just beautiful to see this community grow. Isn't that the way it is? I love that story. I mean, we have all these thoughts and fears about being in the closet, whatever type of closet we're in, be the, the LGBTQ closet, being in your uh, creativity closet, thinking that you're a painter, writer, whatever, um, yoga, any type of creative expression. And when you finally break that door down, it's amazing the positivity that comes out of it, right? It's an awesome story. Thank you. I'm really proud of myself and this group because a lot of the guys have also told me they've come out as naked yogis too friends and family, which I think is cool. That is great. I absolutely love it. Congratulations. Now talk about resort or uh, retreats. I saw something on your website where you're doing a retreat. Is that this June or something that you're doing an annual retreat to Stone Song? Talk about that. Please. Yes. So we are doing our annual summer retreat to Stone Song Nature Center this summer. It's June 20th through the 22nd. It is this absolutely beautiful retreat center just north of Washington, D.C. It's run by fellow naked yogis. So the entire weekend is naked and we do nature walks with one of the owners of the property who is a nature guide. We eat delicious home-cooked meals by the other owner of the center. And of course, we do a ton of naked yoga and I really dig deep on these retreat weekends. So we're not just doing the basics. We're learning uh, advanced yoga, which doesn't necessarily mean harder yoga, but more of the history and background of it. And the real, the real popular part of the weekend is I teach a two-hour Thai massage workshop. And I combine um, a style of Indian self-massage in there, too. And in, everyone just feels like so blissed out at the end of the weekend. That's amazing. Can they still register for that? Yes, absolutely. You just go to danimalyoga.com or dcnakedyoga.com and all the details about our retreat are right there. Amazing. I love that. So cool. Are you going to come, Scott? You know, I'm going to be on my big gay road trip in June in Palm Springs, California. Oh, I would actually right. go. I think that would be fun. I would love to try something like that. Um, but I'd be, I do the same as I do in Palm Springs because the Palm Springs Resort is my second year there, Dan. So I got to get, I got to get this positivity, uh, body positivity going. Last year I went, I was invited, and it's this beautiful resort in Palm Springs called the Indulge Resort. But I don't know if you know, obviously you've been to Coachella quite a few times. There are 22 clothing optional gay men's resorts in Palm Springs. I did not know that before I went. And uh, so I did a show on one last year where I got to meet these owners of the Indulge. And they invited me to come do my show there live for a month. So I went there 
last year, entire month of shows, and I don't think I went beyond my underwear, even though it's a game at Jamaican Resort. <laughs> this year, I think the underwear is coming off. I'm not 100% sure yet. I'm still a little embarrassed because I'm hosting a show with a lot of guests, and I don't really want to be naked in front of guests ever at night in the pool, even though I wouldn't do it in the show at, at all. We're all dressed during the show. But um, I need to get out of my own closet and not be afraid to do that. So we'll see what happens this year. Otherwise, I would be down for a great trip to Maryland. I'm telling you this. You need to scare yourself, Scott. I'm telling you, if we don't scare ourselves every once in a while, we get bored. Good advice. Very good advice, my friend. Well, talk to you <laughs> about where people can find you. I see you do private yoga lessons and you do, you do group yoga lessons. Talk about your website and social. and Where can everybody find you? Yeah, absolutely. So like I said, everything's at Danimal Yoga. It's animal with a D in front of it, yoga. And like you mentioned, I teach a lot of private yoga sessions. I teach those at the Capitol Center for Psychotherapy and Wellness here in Washington, D.C. And we're also going to be adding some new naked yoga classes there in June, which I'm very excited about. Um, other than that, all of my classes are on my website. Um, there's a link to the naked yoga website. They're super tied together. All that Discovery Channel website work paid off. So if you can't find something, uh, you're not you're not searching hard enough. Or email me because now you know I I answer every email. It's been a pleasure to have you on, my friend. I'm so happy for this just blowing up. You deserve every accolade you're getting. And thanks so much for taking the time to come on the Left of Straight show. Thank you, Scott. This was really fun. I really appreciate it. Oh, you are welcome back anytime. Congratulations on the upcoming marriage <laughs> to you and Cassidy. I want to see all of the photos on Instagram. You got to be following this guy on Instagram. He's got some great shots there all the way down to Coachella. Stay on the line for me, Dan. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break. When we come back in a little bit, we're going to have our next guest. We're going to have uh, Hayden uh, Joseph on, a grand, brand new up-and-coming singer. Speaking of body positivity, we're going to play out with Eureka from Drag Queen last season with her song, Body Positivity. You're listening to The Left of Straight Show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
flying fish. Yeah, girl, I'm big and loud. guys we are back that is eureka from drag race rupaul drag race with body positivity guys my next guest is an upcoming singer and songwriter that i've had my eye on for quite a while now the relative newcomer to the industry he is capturing audiences at live venues with his southern charm relatable lyrics and a great sound that's both country and pop inspired he's gone from grade school talent shows to acapella performances in college to his current live acoustic set, and his debut LB, LP is due later this week. I'm honored to have him on the show today for one of our earlier showcases, because you're going to be hearing his name a lot. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. Hayden Joseph. Hayden, how you doing, buddy? I am doing very well, Scott. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. I am very excited. I have been a social media stalker for a while now, <laughs> and checking out all your music and really enjoy what you have going on. Um, congratulations on really starting to, to bloom here, my friend. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Um, it's obviously a, a relatively new thing for me, but it's been really fun over the last few months to start doing this more and more. Um, and it's something I kind of put on the back burner for too long. Um, so it feels good to finally finally be taking it seriously. Well, you have the talent, my friend, and I can't wait to share it with everybody here. But you're a brand-new guest here, so I always like to start from the beginning. Give me a little bit of background. Tell me about uh, where you're from, what kind of a kid were you when you grew up, and what did you first want to be when you grew up? <laughs> yeah, so I am from uh, a small town outside of Columbia, South Carolina, called Shapin. Um, I mean, in terms of what kind of kid I was, I, I, I'd like to think I was a pretty good kid. My mom, uh, My mom might disagree with me on that one, but... I like to think I was pretty good. Um, 
I guess what I wanted to be when I grew up originally, I, I thought I was going to be a doctor. That was always the original plan. You know, if you grow up in the southern United States, uh, people pretty much tell you for your entire life if you can read and spell your name at a certain age that you're supposed to be a doctor. Uh, so that's what I grew up <laughs> thinking. Um, so I that's what I grew it. up thinking. That's what I, uh, I studied in college. I went to uh, Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. I uh, studied neuroscience there. Uh, which is absolutely no relation to what I do for a living now uh, or the music that I make, <laughs> but that is uh, my academic background. Um, That's fun. Yeah, I was a consultant in New York City uh, for two years after I graduated, and now I actually coincidentally work for a record label in digital strategy. Uh, so that's my day job. Yeah, I want to talk about that in a little bit. I think that's very interesting, you know, both uh, behind and in front of the scenes of music. Um, very cool, though, and talk about the juxtaposition from going from relatively southern towns to New York City, what kind of a transition was that like for you? I mean, I mean it is. City, it's, it's, still. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, can't, I think I, I'm, I'm fortunate in that I had a little bit of a buffer between the two. So I, it was a culture shock for me when I moved from small town South Carolina to Nashville, Tennessee. I mean, that, that, was, that was a big right. change. And Nashville is, a, Nashville is a big city, but it's by no means New York City size. Um, and so, you know, I had a little bit of a buffer. I got used to a bigger city uh, and then moved to New York right after college. And it was still just a massive culture shock. I mean, New York City is, it's really overwhelming to anybody to even visit here. So living here every day, you just continue to find new things to do and continue to find new areas of the city to explore. Uh, it, it can kind of be, it, it took me, I think, a solid 18 months to, to get used to this, to this way of life up here. It's, it's, it's awesome, but it's, it's very different if you're used to a kind of a small town southern pace. I bet. I mean, I, my brother lives in South Carolina, just over the border from Charlotte there in Rock Hill, and it is a whole different bird going down to visit him, man. So I, I can understand the culture shock. And New York City, I love New York City. I've been there quite a few times, but really, unless you spend, unless you live there, it takes days upon days to explore just a couple of blocks there. There's so much to do and so much going on. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've lived here for almost three years now, and I, I've only seen a fraction of the city. So, <laughs> I know how that goes. Now you're out, you're out and proud on your social media and everything. Talk about when did you first come out to yourself, and when did you come out to others? Yes, yeah, so, I mean, in terms of coming out to myself, honestly, I mean, I've known for a very long time, as I think most people do, um, from a very young age. But it's one of those things when you grow up in a relatively conservative household in a very like religious area, conservative area of the country that you kind of put on the back burner and deny for a very long time. I, I think it took me, uh, you know, moving, I went, I was one of the only people from my high school or from my family ever that's kind of gone away for college. So I went to school in Nashville, which is eight hours from where I grew up away from everybody met a bunch of new people and a bunch of new mentalities. Um, really think it was there that I really understood that this was something I couldn't deny forever uh, for the sake of my own sanity um, and came to terms with it there. And then it's just, I've gotten more and more comfortable with it, obviously, as I have gotten older. So, you know, it's one of those things that's, I think it's the best decision I ever made to come out. That being said, it was by far the hardest decision I've ever made, um, which I think is what a lot of people can say once they're able to reflect back on that, hopefully. Um, right. But it's one of those things where it just, it just takes a while for anybody to come to terms with it. And now it's one of the things where I'm very, very proud of it and very, very open about it. But it's taken me years to get to this point. Sure. I mean, I, that we all have our own journeys, and it does take a long time sometimes. It's nice to see that the music industry is opening up. We have a lot more LGBT out artists now. What kind of a conscious decision was that to be able to, 
did you have to wrestle with that with your career, whether you thought uh, you were going to be have to go back in the closet to do music, or have you felt pretty safe being able to be who you are? I mean, I guess this is kind of one of those chicken and the egg situations. So, I mean, I've you know been out for several years and very open about it on my social media and have, I guess, a, a following that's large enough at this point to where it, it can no longer be a secret. Um, you know, gotcha. that being said, like if I, if I had the option, I don't, I, I'd like to think that I would have still been as open about it, but I do happen to be pursuing and, you know, passionate about a genre of music that of all of the genres of music is typically, I guess it's the most close off to that mentality and typically has the most religious and conservative fan base. Um, so, you know, there's certainly been artists before me in that genre that have been open about it and have like, you know, paved this way. Um, that being said, I would like to have a, like like to have the opportunity one day if my music career continues to grow and allow me to do this that I can be kind of one of the faces of people that continue to try to you know break barriers in country music to to open this up because you know it's it's just it's still it's still a different genre in many senses but I think political views and views on you know views on the LGBT community has been one of the slower genres to come around. Exactly, but it's great that you're able to be yourself, and like you said, sometimes you don't have a choice, but it's great that you, you have that kind of mindset for it. Talk about how do you go from where was the music business in your early life, or where was music in your early life, since you were going the academic route there, who are some of your earlier music influences, and when did you really start having a passion for music? Yeah, um, that's a good question. I mean, I've always absolutely adored music since I was a really little kid. I, but it was one of those things I was kind of shy about uh, for a very long time. And you know, I sang in my elementary school talent shows and then kind of didn't sing in public again until I was 18 or 19 years old and kind of like sparked back that I really did love this and I'm not really sure why I hit it. And so I started to perform more in college and acapella groups. Um, and really, I think it wasn't until I spent two and a half years of my life at a consulting firm working, you know, close to 80 hours a week where I couldn't write a song and I couldn't even go to a karaoke bar that I realized that I couldn't live a life that didn't involve this, at least in some capacity. And I think that was kind of the turning point of where I knew I had to do something to change that. Um, in terms of musical influences, though, I mean, my favorite artist in the entire world growing up, um, and this is all over my social media, so <laughs> this is not going to come as a surprise with Shania Twain. Um, I mean, just from the being like tell. a... I have to say I have <laughs> seen tell of that. Shania has a little bit of an influence in your life there. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone has that one artist that kind of imprinted on them from when they were really little. Right. For me, it was it was Shania. I mean, I, she was my first concert. She pulled me on stage with her as a little three-year-old kid and walked me around the stage with my toy microphone and let me, like, try to sing a song with her. Um, unfortunately, that was the only song on the entire album I made my mom skip in the car. So... <laughs> regrets that we have um i know every word to that song now uh you know if she'll ever let me get on stage with her again um that's funny have you ever tweeted or anything about that that you were on that you were on stage with her uh i probably tag her in an instagram story at least once a week so maybe one of these days she'll see it um and in terms of like my songwriting you know tonight is just like my favorite artist in terms of childhood memories in terms of i think she's a lot for breaking barriers in that genre as well but Songwriting-wise, I mean, Taylor Swift, I think, is a, a lyrical genius. She just has a way of writing writing songs that are specific enough to her situation where they sound personal, but they're situations that can virtually be applied to anyone's life. So everybody can just, like, honestly feel cathartic listening to most of her songs because they're so well-written. Um, 
So I try to channel things like that when I'm writing songs, you know. I don't think I'm as good as Taylor because few people are, but one can aspire to be. There you go. I love that, though. And talk about your acapella experience. I mean, that's I'm a huge fan of acapella, always have been. Um, you really earned your chops on that. Talk about that. what that was like. Yeah, so acapella was one of those things where when I went into college and realized I wanted to sing more or perform more, it was kind of one of those things I saw it to, um I went to college right after the Pitch Perfect movie had come out. So it was when it was like all the jazz in terms of what people wanted to do. Uh, so right. I, that, I was like, this is, a, this is a way I can do this. I'm going to find one of these to join. Um, and I tried out for a few groups at Vandy. There's several groups on campus um, ranging from very, very serious to very, very casual. Um, I ended up in a group that is was a lot of fun. They were very casual. We, we, it was essentially a bunch of – a bunch of guys that just sang to have fun, didn't have a huge background in musical theory, but sang at sororities and had a concert once a semester. Um, but it was a great, like, extracurricular activity to, A, lead a group. I ended up being president of that group for one of the years I was there. And you just get more experience performing and understanding, like, how much music meant. Um, so definitely one of those things that I'm very, very glad I did throughout college. Nice. I love that. That is awesome. And we talked earlier, I mean, you really have both sides of music experience because you actually work in the music business. Talk about that, seeing it from a business side. Did that ever scare you at all to see what happens in the business side of it? Because it can be an intimidating business. Yeah, I mean, so I work on I work on our digital team. So I do all of our, like, our strategy and projections and negotiations for our partnerships with streaming services. So Spotify, Apple Music, all of those things have agreements with record labels. Um, and honestly, it was taking this job and learning so much about the digital aspect of music and how accessible it is for unsigned and independent artists to release music and record music. I'm so glad I took this job because for that reason, I knew that I could do it. And it was kind of a few weeks into the job doing this research and understanding all of this. I was like, why, why in the world am I not trying to do this in my bedroom? Um, and so that's kind of what created all of this. I I put a song on one of my social media pages and a couple of my friends reached out and were like, Hey, man, this song is actually really, really good. Have you ever like considered doing something with this? And it was just kind of a, the combination of all those things after taking this job and seeing that it was possible um, that I really started pursuing this on the side. That is awesome. And you do have a fantastic YouTube channel that you've built over the last three or four months here. I am a huge Stevie Nicks fan and your landslide cover is amazing. You do everything from Jewel to Dua Lipa. I mean, how do you choose who you want to cover? Is it something that you do strategically for your career or just you love the artists? Uh, it's, I mean, it's a combination of a couple of those things. I mean, the Jewel song specifically, I, I took a songwriting class in college, and that was one of the songs that we spent two weeks looking at the lyrics of and, like, understanding how carefully she crafted that song. Um, so I've just loved that song ever since then. I'd love to cover it. Um, you know, I have a thing. I love to take an arrangement and change the key and change the way a song is sung to be sung by someone that has a, a, a drastically different voice. So the majority of the, you know, I could cover songs by male country artists and probably sound very similar to them, but I prefer to take songs by females or take songs by people in different genres and sing them with my voice that sounds completely different to just give the song a different feel. Um, that's my, that's what I look for when I listen to covers. I love to hear somebody sing something differently than they heard it on the radio. Uh, so that's kind of what I try for when I do that. Nice. I like that a lot. That is very cool. Let's go ahead and take a quick break here because I want them to be able to experience some of your music. And thank you so much 
for sharing some of this new music that no one's really heard too much of, except for in your short community there. I want to start with one of your first singles here, Different. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. Um, these are all works in progress that Hayden's been putting together for his first EP due out later this year. So we're going to take a quick break. We're talking to Hayden Joseph. This is Different. You're listening to Left to Straight Show right here on Left to Straight Radio Network. I remember lying wide awake in bed each night Asking God if he was sure he made me right I don't like the things they like And I don't play the games they play I don't sing along with their songs Or see anything their way I wish I had a moment With a younger me To tell him different Ain't a bad thing to be You'll only be remembered if you brush against the grain And if you go to places they won't go And never shy away from change The voices in your head That you silence every day Soon we yell across the room so loud The world hears what they say I wish I had a moment With a younger me To tell him different Ain't a bad thing to be The fear inside your restless mind And the walls you built to hide behind There's nothing you should worry about Dry your eyes and get some sleep Honey, don't be scared to chase your dreams Wipe it in when you could stand down Hope one day I'm playing for a crowded room And the words that I'm singing reach a kid who's different too When they hear the chords I'm strumming I hope they cry a little less Stop losing so much sleep because they're different from the rest They can learn one thing from the notes I sing that difference ain't a bad thing to be I wish I had a moment with a younger me to tell him different ain't a bad thing to be different ain't a bad thing to be different ain't a bad thing and we are back guys you are getting a special treat today we're getting a first-hand look at my guest today hayden joseph's music these are works in progress he's been working on and man hayden i was telling you off air i really love your style i think you're doing such phenomenal work and your lyrics are off the chart your songwriting how does how do these things come to you they seem very personal obviously uh, talk about your songwriting a bit. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it's one of those things where I've – the most important thing for me when I listen to songs is just how relatable they are and the lyrics that they 
the lyrics, I guess. You know, some people say the first thing I listen to is a beat. For me, it's always been the lyrics. Um, it continues to be. You know, I, I feel like people write best about things that they've experienced. So when I write a song, it's typically about, obviously, something that I've been through. And, you know, one of those things, whether I like it or not, in terms of how hard it was at the time, that has given me something to reflect on is obviously having to come out. Um, you know, being a member of the LGBT, LGBT community has obviously been a massive part of my life and a massive part of my experiences. So some of my songs definitely have undertones of that in there. Um, you know, I also am a sucker for a good breakup song. I love a good cathartic, like, <laughs> depressing, <laughs> depressing cry song. Um, so, you know, that, that goes into a lot of the songs I write, too. I mean, I think the thing for me, though, that's really important is I want my music to be, you know, I want my music to be something that everybody can listen to. Of people of every community, of every you know, profession, of every region of the country. And so I try to write songs from a very personal lens that can be interpreted multiple ways is really my ultimate goal is that anybody listening to something, even if I wrote it about something really specific, it's, I want it to be written in a way that somebody that has experienced something completely different can still relate to the feeling. I love that. And lyrical singwriters especially um... – they have a process that can either come really quickly or really take a long time. How do songs come to you in your head, especially when you write lyrically <laughs> and not care about the music? How, what's your yep. process for writing? How long does it take you usually? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess in terms of that, I will say that I write every song I write, I write the words first and I hum it in my head and sing it without any music to it. So that's how every song goes. Is I'll write the words and I know what I want it to sound like. And I will literally play with my guitar until I get it to sound like that. Um, and I will say, you know, this, is, this can't be said for every single song, but some of the best songs, um, and I would say the majority of songs I've written, if I don't write it in 30 minutes, it's never going to happen. Um, so the majority of the songs oh, I, I write, you know, I get, an, I, I get an idea and I'm done with it, you know, in the first couple sittings. There are a few songs that I've recorded that are, you can find on my SoundCloud that did take multiple sittings. Um, but honestly, the ones that come easiest typically turn out the best. If you're trying too hard on something, chances are, at least for me, it's not going to ever work the way you want it to. Nice. Good answer. I like that. Let's talk about playing live for a second. Um, talk about club life versus a day job. I mean, you're working this full-time day job, and, of course, most music gigs are late night uh, if you can't get into a, into a uh, happy hour type thing. Talk about club life. What's it like? Um, hitting the pavements and doing that. Did you do it in Nashville ever? Or have you waited till you got to New York? Yeah. So, I mean, the answer to the question about Nashville, unfortunately, is no. I mean, I'm constantly kicking myself. I didn't realize until after I started working a corporate job that I couldn't live without music. But I, I kick myself every day for why, why did you not start doing this when you were living in Music City for four years and you were 18 years old and, <laughs> you know, you still had a little bit of an allowance from mom and dad. Why, why did you not start this then? Um, but... Unfortunately, I did not. I waited until I got to New York here. Uh, you know, it's, it's not easy finding time to write these, try to, like, produce them at least to a point where I can send them to producers to get a full band behind them, uh, you know, with a full-time job, to find time to write, to find time to try to get better at playing my guitar, to try to find time to get better at mixing and techniques, um, and I'll add live shows on top of that. I'm a very busy guy at the moment. Um, but right. it's really fun. I mean, you know, playing live music gigs is, an experience that I, this is the first time I've ever done it, played, you know, spent hours on stage playing songs that I wrote. Um, it's really fun. You know, I typically do them on the weekends right now. Um, I'll take whatever time slot that bars will offer me. I've luckily been fairly fortunate because people have been receptive to the stuff I've sent them and offered me pretty good time slots. Um, but it's, it's, it's a lot of commitment and a lot of work uh, to make it happen. I bet. 
Talk about that showcase you were in earlier this month. How did that go? That songwriter circle that looked like it was pretty cool. Yeah, it was awesome. So I did a um, I did a showcase with the New York Songwriter Circle. Um, they do one once a month at the Bitter End, um, and it was my first kind of in the round experience. So it was me and four other songwriters that had applied to be a part of that. Um, it's really cool. They do a really good job of curating um, five acts that just sounded completely different. I mean, every single person on stage had a completely different sound, had completely different inspirations, and completely different qualities to their music. Um, and I'm sure that was intentional, obviously, because it was on the listening community, but you know, props to them for allowing that to happen. I mean, as an artist, it was really cool to just see how diverse music can be. Um, and also just, I guess, created an awesome experience for everybody in the audience that had come. If it was my friends that had come to watch me or the other writers, friends or fans that had come to watch them, just getting to see, like, everything that is possible with the word singer-songwriter because um, it can mean so many different things. That's very cool, though. I love that. Um, talk about... Let's let's play another song here. I want to talk about Thrill of the Chase, kind of fun. Um, talk about where this song came about and how did this song come? Yeah, so, I mean, my friends will joke with me and I'll joke with myself. Um, I just have a really, like, frankly, probably unhealthy dating mentality of, for some reason, if I start to feel pressure and I start to feel like someone is interested in me, I for some reason, just it just can't work. I, I can't be interested back because it was too easy. Um, it is not healthy, um, but... I joke in most of my concerts, and instead of getting a therapist to figure out why I'm so messed up like that, uh, it's much easier and cheaper to write a song about it and poke fun at myself. Um, you know, I think this is a pretty common problem that people have, and so they find, quote, quote, the one where it wasn't an issue, but I haven't found that person yet, so I can still poke fun at myself for liking when people play hard to get. <laughs> there you go. Let's give everyone another taste here. This is called Thrill of the Chase, another work in progress here. It's going to be hopefully on this debut LP here from our guest today, Hayden Joseph. We'll be back in just a couple of seconds here. we got another great song for you. This was fun. I hope we do it again. Couldn't make me wait a while.
So we're talking about your live gigs. What was your very first paid gig you got to do? My very first paid gig. Well, they've been um, they've been mostly ticket sale based at this point, but I have a gig coming up in uh, Augusta, Georgia. I guess in the middle of June, that will be my first technically paid gig. Uh, other ones have had ticket sales that I've gotten to keep. So if we count those, my first paid gig was back in February, uh, Rockwood Music Hall in New York. Nice, very cool, and. Let's talk about, again, being an out gay artist and everything here. There's so many different ways to get your breaks now. We saw um, Cameron Hawthorne recently with his YouTube video went viral. We've had, um, I have a buddy, Matt Stern in Canada, also went viral on Queerty. Um, a bunch of different ways to do it. We had our first out country singer on uh, music, on country music television last year. Um, how are you feeling about the gay press and, and going the whole gay route since you are out and open on it. Um, do you kind of put yourself out there? Or are you holding off on that? What's your thoughts on the LGBT media? You're obviously doing my show, which I'm happy about, but talk about your thoughts <laughs> on the LGBT media. Yeah. I mean, my thoughts on media right now is once I get this music finished and put it out there, I am happy to take any media I can get. Um, you know, I certainly wouldn't shy away from talking to any LGBT media media as because that is a major part of my music um but also more than happy to promote myself with any any media that's offered to me uh, you know i think i mentioned before i want my music to be something that lgbt people can listen to and hear it and know it's like i am talking to them uh and that i understand what they're going through to a large extent um, but i also want the songs to be written in a way that people that aren't necessarily a part of the lgbt lgbt community can also relate to because of the subject matter and understand they might interpret it slightly differently, but still find a way to feel that it's relatable to them because they've, you know, they probably haven't, they obviously haven't come out before and experienced that sort of hardship, but they've faced other situations right. in their life that they can parallel to that. Um, so, I mean, it's not something at this point that I'm shying away from at all. I mean, the, the song Different is very clearly written about, you know, it wasn't necessarily written about being just gay when I was younger, but it was written about being gay and also just kind of seeing the world differently than people and that being really hard for a little kid to understand. 
Um, so that song obviously is hopefully very relatable to anybody uh, that's a member of this community when they listen to it. Uh, another song I think you'll play, it's, it's, the song is literally called Out and written, it's obviously about coming out and being proud of who you are. That being said, I, I think I wrote it in a way to where somebody that wasn't necessarily gay could also feel like it was just about being proud of themselves and understanding that, you know, there's a point in your life where you got to stop caring about what everyone else thinks. Um, and so that's right. I guess a long way of saying I'm not shying away from it whatsoever, uh, given my social media and the subjects of my songs. That being said, you know, I like to think that there's a world in which I could be thought of as just an artist and not just a gay artist. Well said. I love that. And like you said, they are very relatable. We are going to play out as our closing song here in just a little bit. And like you said, it's very relatable in a lot of areas. You, you're very open that it's not about being LGBT. You would, unless you knew, you wouldn't even really know. Because um, it's just about being your true authentic self, which is what I love. Talk about um, that. You've kind of hinted at it in that last answer, but talk about what you have in store for this EP. What kind of a story are you trying to tell? Um, what's your plans for it? What's your reaction be? Who, you, who are your sounding boards? Are you going to your friends, to your family? Talk about how this EP is coming together. Yeah, so, I mean, I'm making progress slowly but surely. I mean, I think all the songs are written. Um, and anyone that wants to hear a CD can listen to the songs on my SoundCloud in a completely acoustic form. Um, but right now I'm working with producers, mostly remotely, um, who I'm sending tracks back and forth and collaborating with. It's taken a little while, but we're finally getting to a point where I've got three, you know, 80, 90% produced tracks. I'm hoping to get four to six. Um, and hopefully we'll have everything out by the end of the summer, you know, at the latest on Spotify and Apple Music and major services fully produced. Um, you know, if I can find the time, I would love to film a music video for Out. Um, ideally, that song gets released during June because that is Pride Month, and, you know, I want that song to have an opportunity for people to listen to it, for anyone that does listen to it during that month, because it's obviously a very special month, um, and hopefully a song that coincides with it really well. Long way of saying I hope it's done before the end of the summer, before the end of the year at the, at the latest. <laughs> Uh, there you go. And then sound. Sorry, I just sounding board wise, you know, sounding board wise, you know, I send it to my group text all the time. I try to get my friends to listen to it. They usually do. Uh, sometimes it takes them a little while, and I have to pester them a bit. Uh, my mom has been a gem about listening to my songs. Obviously, she'll tell me they're good regardless, but it's still nice to know that somebody will always listen. Um, and then, <laughs> <laughs> really, really, my friends and my mom have been great. And honestly, people in social media have been so supportive. I mean, I love getting messages from people that say, I listened to the song you uploaded and I'm really related to it. Or I, like even sometimes people even give me suggestions where they're like, I, I love what you did, but, but I would do this a little bit differently. I know you didn't ask me, but you know, and I, honestly, sometimes I take those suggestions because I appreciate that people are listening to it. No, that's very cool. I have a good friend that I met through doing the radio shows named Jay Knight out of New York, um, Buffalo, New York, actually. And he does that a lot. He's an unsigned artist and kind of prefers it that way and puts a lot of his music out. He'll he'll send out samples of his music and ask for suggestions. And he uses quite a bit of them because there's, it's surprising how much um, good advice there is. There's a lot of bad advice, too, but there's some good advice out there. People who enjoy music really can help you kind of craft your music a bit. So I love that you do that. That's fantastic. Absolutely. Um, I love I that people listen. So. There you go. Let's talk about the future music. I always like to talk about this, especially someone that hasn't had their first EP go out yet. What are your thoughts on the nature of the business, especially being where you are working with Spotify and Apple? I mean, a lot of artists used to be the album was the way to go. You can tell a story. You had a progression of things. But the way sales are anymore, 
singles are better through the Spotify and the Apple Musics and doing the individual one at a time. What's your thought process? Because you have an interesting take on it, I think, being with your day job and a music musician. What's your thoughts on releasing music these days? Yep. So, I mean, I, I got to be really careful about what I say here um, because there might be some legal stipulations of what I can and can't say with my job. Um, but my personal opinion, like, and this is not any, by any means a strategic recommendation or anything that I've heard through where I work, is that it's become a very much a consumer-hungry economy where things have a shorter lifespan than they used to. Um, and it's about putting out more content faster than it is about kind of dumping a bunch of content at once that can be a little bit lost. Um, you know, like obviously Spotify and Apple Music are rapidly evolving ecosystems where people are putting content out left and right. Um, and so I, I personally think if you're an unsigned artist, as I obviously am right now, um, putting out a, a full album at once would be a little bit dangerous just because, you know, if you don't have a platform yet, putting all of your singles out at one point in time, they have a much greater opportunity of kind of getting lost um, in a massive library of music than they would if you had a strategy behind each one and kind of put them out staggered over time and tried to build a fan base. That's how I plan to, to do it solely because I'm not, I don't have the support of a major label behind me. You know, I don't have somebody doing my marketing right now. I need to, I need to take as much time with each song as I can to have a strategy behind them. Um, so that, there, there's probably two answers to that. If you're a signed artist with a major label behind you, if you're an unsigned artist, you know, I think the great thing these platforms are doing though is making it possible for unsigned artists to put music on a global platform where everybody can hear it if you put it in front of the right people. Um, in a sense, that is something great that these platforms have done. Right. I, I agree 100%. And I seem to be the consensus anymore. There are, it's, it is nice to tell a story through an album, but I think if you want your singles to stand apart anyway, and you're writing the single at a time, I don't know of too many artists that write with an entire arc in mind. Some do. Um, Steve Grand is one is an artist he taught I've had him on the show a couple times and he likes the storytelling and kind of has an arc to his but I think uh, you're right I think with the, the way it goes today you it seems to be that people are craving have these small little attention spans and want some hot music all the time even Beyonce you have a some hot music coming out but it's uh it, it only stays hot for so long um even for top superstars so it's it's a very interesting business to be in, and I'm glad that you're you're putting your foot forward in there and going in front of the mic like you are. It's going to be a thrilling and exciting time for you. What do you kind of, what are your thoughts and hopes and dreams? What would you like to see happen? Your, I mean, your thoughts and career. hopes and dreams. So, uh, yeah, my thoughts and hopes and dreams for this would be that I could do this one day for a living, and not have to work a. I, you know, 60, 70 hour a week day job in corporate America. You know, I love my job. I've learned a lot from my job, grown very professionally through every job I've held. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, my passion is music. I mean, I write songs right now from 9 p.m. to midnight most nights and have to kind of record them and do all of this in that amount of time. I can't imagine how much better my music could be if I was able to dedicate my entire life to this um, and work with, work with people that I can learn from and, you know, meet people in the industry and just have a larger chance to be inspired by that. I think I would love to see what I could do um, with that ability and the way for that to happen is, you know, find a way to make this financially viable to do this for a living um, in a perfect world. I mean, obviously breaking as an artist is incredibly difficult and I am completely aware of that. And it's, it's terrifying. There are times where I, I shake my head and go, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is really silly. And there are other times where it's like, <laughs> where it's like, well, what do you have to lose? If you can do it right now, it's not, 
getting in the way of your career. It's not getting in the way of your relationships. It's just something that you're doing now that you genuinely love. So if, if that can be the only thing I do one day, that would be amazing. And besides Tanaya, who would be some of your dream collaborations with? Oh, dream collaboration. Casey Musgrave. I adore her. Um, let's see. Country. I, I also love um, Brett Young. Uh, I think he's great. Um, you know, Taylor in the stratospheric world would love to, would love to write a song with Taylor. So I don't have to sing it with her. She can sing the whole thing if she wants to, as long as I can write it with her. Um, but right now, it's off my list. Probably be, if not Shania, obviously that's that's a stratospheric goal. If I can get it, Casey Musgrave. So I guess one album of the year at the Grammys this year. So that's also a stratospheric goal. Um, but I love I love both of them. There you go. I love it. Well, man, it's been great talking to you, and I'm excited to be able to say I knew you when because I think you're going to go some places, my friend. I love your music, and thank you so much for sharing with my audience for, like, uh, a special preview. They, but they can find your SoundCloud and get the same kind of stuff here. Give everyone where your social media is and where they can find you. Absolutely. So if you want to follow my music Instagram account, it's Hayden Joseph Music on Instagram. Uh, my personal account is actually my real last name. It's H. Shelby, S-C-H-E-L-B-L-E. Um, and my, all my music in acoustic form that you might hear on an upcoming EP can be found on my SoundCloud, Hayden Joseph, um, YouTube channel, where you'll see me do a lot of covers and some originals is Hayden Joseph music. Uh, so that's, that's it right now. Hopefully Spotify, Apple music, uh, I'll be above soon. Nice. And if they're in the New York area, are you playing any clubs re- anytime soon, they can come see you. Oh yeah. Good call. Thank you. I'm new at this. Uh, so I have a show this weekend, uh, at, um, the Delancey, uh, Saturday at 7 p.m. I got a 30 minute set there. Um, tickets are $12 at the door, or you can DM me in advance to get them. Um, and then I have another show the weekend after um, on May 5th, so Cinco de Mayo, at the Bitter End, uh, singer songwriter venue in New York. I got a 30 minute set there as well. It's $5 at the door. So come, come on, come all. Give me some feedback. There you go. Hayden Joseph, thank you so much for being on the Left of Straight Show. It's been an honor to talk to you, and you're going to be going places, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been uh, great to be on board. I appreciate being your first interview, guys. Look out for Hayden Joseph. It's going to be great. Go check out his music. We're going to play out with his song, Out. And I'll come back to wrap things up a little bit. Hayden, stay on the line for me. Guys, you're listening to Left of Straight Show right here on Left of Straight Radio Network.
world is ready for how I'm speaking. How turn the lights, call the time, it's mine to cash. How get to work, try to max, will never tap. Out burn strong, but now I've run out of fears and doubts. To hold me back, I'm stepping out from under the burden on my shoulder. No time to waste, I'm only getting older. I'm finally free, who I was meant to be. Every part of me, yeah. I'll turn the lights, call the time, it's mine to cash. I'll get to work, try to max, will never tap. Burn strong, and now I've run out of fears and doubts. To hold me back, I'm stepping out. Turn the lights, call the time, it's mine to cash. Out, get to work, try to match, won't ever tap. Out, burn strong, and now I've run out of fears and doubts. To hold me back, I'm stepping out. My guest today had an awesome time talking with Dan Carter uh, from uh, Danimal Yoga out in Washington, D.C. If you're in the Washington, D.C. area, <clears throat> check out one of his classes, and he has a retreat happening in Maryland in June. And a big special thank out to Hayden Joseph. Uh, great music by a great guy, uh, really going a lot of places. And Audrey, thank you so much for being part of the show today. Appreciate you helping out the chat room. Now you guys need to know every day the chat room will be open. If you have any questions for our guests, we'll have it on every Left of Straight show. Audrey, how'd you do? I I did fine. It, it was a great show, and I I love both of our guests today. Had a good time talking to both of them. We have another great show coming up tomorrow. I'll we'll have two more interns in. We're going to have on the show tomorrow. Um, from Broadway Sings for Pride, we're going to have uh, Neil Bennington on, and he's bringing the special guests with him. And then in the second hour, we have our buddy Josh Orozco, who has a brand-new single out called Shadyland. So good show tomorrow. Next week, we have another Hayden, Hayden McHugh, another singer coming on. And I'm excited to have Jenna Ushkowitz and Kevin McHale from Glee they have a brand-new podcast called Showmance. We're going to be on to talk all about that next week. So lots of fun stuff here happening, Audrey. And pretty soon we're going to have an Audrey show. I'm excited about that as well. Yeah, um, I'm working on some ideas for that show right now, and I know you're helping me out with that, and I, I can't wait to get started on that. It's going to be a great time, friends. Look forward to that. Um, again, we're leaving one month from today. I'm, I'm heading out the door and going on the big gay road trip to Palm Springs. I want to give a big shout out to my media sponsors there, Pink Banana Media, 
um, Twitter 360 network. I love uh, hashtag I love LGBT. I love gay LGBT. Um, big thanks to Scott um, from from CBT Candle out in LA. It's going to be putting together our celebrity gift bags. If you can, please go over to the Indiegogo site or go to the Left of Straight website. Give five or ten dollars. I'd appreciate it. We'll try to pull out this Wednesday show for Allies Women. If it doesn't happen, doesn't happen. Mama Linda and I will pay for it. We're just trying to help a little bit out there. Audrey, thanks for being on the show today. I appreciate you. Yep. Thank you for having me. I, I have a lot of fun doing this, as you know. All right, guys. Well, we are out of here. We're going to uh, play out with one last song today. And uh, we will see you back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock Eastern Time, 5 o'clock, uh, excuse me, what, 2 o'clock Pacific Time, 5 o'clock Eastern Time. I'm getting tongue-tied in the last few seconds. I haven't had coffee in two hours. It's a horrible thing. Um, <laughs> I love having out and out, out and about and fresh and proud people on the show today. Let's play out with Ginger Minge with I Am What I Am. Bye-bye. Bye. Am what I am. I am my own special creation. So come take a look. Give me the hook for. The ovation It's my world That I want to have A little pride in My world And it's not a place I have to hide in Life's not worth a damn Till you can say, hey world, I am what I am. I am what I am. I don't want praise. I don't need pity. I bang my own drum. Some think it's noise. Well, I think it's pretty. And so what? If I love each feather and each bangle, why not try to see life from a different angle? Your life is a sham till you can shout out loud, I am what I am. I am what I am and what I am needs no excuses. I steal my own deck. Sometimes the ace, sometimes the deuces. There's one life, and there's no return and no deposit. One life, so it's time to open up your closet. Life not worth a damn till you can say, hey world, I am.